Like, I cannot sit here and listen to Eminem praise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. I cannot sit here in silence and listen to you praise Eminem. <laughs> What's good, y'all? It's your boy South Green Seven Hundred Six, starting a new. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, we don't know where South Breeze is, so we apologize for that. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, that's what you get. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Welcome to episode ninety-nine, as in Prince's nineteen ninety-nine album uh, for the nine-nine and two thousand. It's your boy Tech Messiah. Marcus Sniffles will be joined later by my uh, special guest. Um, this week, of course, we want to give a shout out to South Breeze. Definitely uh, live a little bit, explore a little bit, and enjoy your life. Um, and also, of course, give a shout out to El Chapa. Uh, so what's good for today, Mr. Sniffles? Hey, man, I'm just ready to get these get these hot takes off, get these tweets off, and, you know, since the... Since the South Breeze isn't here to hold us back on on the time limit. We can kind of just really, really get into it, really dive into some of these topics. Because he's always like, oh, let's go to the next topic. Let's go to the next topic, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, we're ready. We're ready to pie for real. And speaking of the hot takes, unless you've been living in the forest somewhere, deep somewhere, we got the slap her around the world. <laughs> As... One of the GOAT actors of uh, this podcast to some of us. Um, wow. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. My thoughts on it at first was, I was just like, what? Like, what? like is this real? <laughs> like, this dude just really walked up here, calm, cool, collected, and just slapped fire out of Chris Rock. And I was like, wait a minute, they're both actors. Maybe it was like a fake or something like that. I don't know. Right there, about the millionth time of me seeing this slap, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? This was real right here, and it was real crazy." Marcus, what's your takes on, on the uh, the slap her around the world? Uh, I think people are taking it way more seriously than it needs to be taken. Like, I think a lot of comedians feel like threatened by it, and they're just like, "Oh, we can't." Uh, tell certain jokes now without fear of someone coming up and slapping us on stage and the whole oh well we we we're, what are white people gonna think now that Will Smith is acting like this like well, they're they're gonna think less of us they're gonna look down upon us it's just like all the all the think pieces and commentating about it was just like it was a little much because honestly it was more of a it was more it, I think it showed that people don't really like live life really. Cause when I was in school, there were plenty of moments where someone said something that might've crossed the line and someone else proceeded to handle that, whether it be physically or verbally, like that's what happens. There are certain things that you can't say and everybody has a line and Chris Rock crossed that line for, for Jada and Will. So it's like, you get what you get, and and you and you can tell that Chris Rock understood it because he could have he could have pressed charges. He could have been like, "Yeah, I want him arrested," but he didn't because he knew he knew. Oh, he, yeah. he knew he did too much. And once it once it got to that point, I feel like the conversation around it kind of should have been 
it should have should it should have stopped there. But it's just like everybody felt the need to say something about it, you know. And I think the most annoying part was all the white women that got in front of it, being like, "Oh, I feel so triggered," and this this type of violence on TV. I wasn't expecting to see this at the at the Oscars. Like, get over yourself. This isn't about you. This is a a situation between two grown men that handle it like two grown men. Like, just relax, relax, Amy Schumer. You'll be okay. One thing that I didn't like was like you got guys like uh, Bill Meyer. I understand Tony Rock doing this maybe, but all yeah, pretty, the, Tony Rock saying something to defend his brother makes sense to me. I, yeah, I, didn't, but, I, I didn't watch what he said, but that's his brother. He's gonna go up and be like, "Hey, don't don't slap my brother." Like that's normal. He did drop the B word in there, so he called he called uh, Jada a bitch, and Bill Meyer did the same thing. And it's like, I hate how the media, like. What happened at the Red Table Talk, what happened between her and Augusta, that has nothing to do with what's happening in the real world. And it's like, ever since this stuff has happened, Will Smith has just become like, this. he's a joke. I know that there was a, there was a podcast, The Pivot, and um, I forgot the dude's name, but um, he was talking about Russell Wilson being like a lame and, you know, just a lame-o, if he didn't have the finances, he wouldn't even have Sierra, blah, 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 blah. And I, I kind of feel like when I think of lames, I actually think he should be talking about Will Smith. Like, Will Smith is a not a good actor. Like, he's very, very subpar. Um, no matter what he plays in, he he's just Will Smith, you know, like you said before. He's Will Smith, the cop. He's Will Smith, the space agent. He's Will Smith, the football player. Will Smith, the doctor. Will Smith, Muhammad Ali. Like everything's the same in that regard. And even though I know at the time that they were separated when this happened, you're crying on national TV and stuff like that. People are just going to feel a certain type of way about you. And it's unfortunate. It's the times that we live in, though. And. I'm not sure if I'd go as far as to call him call him a lame though. I, I mean, just the the whole the whole thing with like August or whatever. Like you said, like they were separated, and and that's that's kind of the whole premise of the red table talk is for them to really get vulnerable and have honest that's conversations because because yeah, these are these are things that do happen. Like the thing, the conversations that they have, and then that conversation about that. It's a it's something that maybe. I'm not saying everybody can relate to it, but that's a real life thing that happens. Like we can't act like that's not normal. Like there's people that have taken a break before in their relationship and then one person goes and sleeps with another person. And that like, that's not uncommon, but because you quote unquote know them, it's like, oh, well, Will Smith's a simp or whatever. Like you don't, and that, that that's, that's one of the main things. It's like, first off, we don't know these people for one. Second off, Yes, we know Jada in August had something, but we don't know about the things that Will's been doing. Like apparently they're in a they're in a uh, open relationship. Like if you were if I was to put money on, I would say that they're in an open relationship. So we don't know the things that Will Smith has been doing, and that that's the thing. Like you got to keep you got to keep your side pieces in line, and that's where Jada messed up. That like August should have been should have never been out here talking like that because Will Smith. The people that he's messing with on the side, they're not out here talking crazy like that. 
but Jada's is, mm-hmm. and that's that, and that's the main thing. So I, I I don't know if I'd go as far as to call them lame for that. That's just that's their brand. Their brand is like, hey, we're gonna talk about our lives. We're gonna be open, honest, vulnerable, and share some things, and maybe that'll you know help someone else in the long run. But I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's t- I just I think it was just it was more funny to me. You know, like I thought it was it was funny, but that. There, there are certain comedians who are just like, oh, I can't now I can't tell a certain joke about people without fear of getting hit. And it's just like if you go to a comedy show, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, uh, why are you wearing that Colts hat? That you know, they got Carson Wentz as their quarterback. They just missed the playoffs. They couldn't beat the Jaguars. Ha ha ha, look at him. Like, I'm not gonna sit there and be so offended that I'm going to go up there and slap that guy. Like it's a that's a regular joke. Now, if I'm with my wife. And you start talking about you know something personal or make like a uh an insensitive personal attack that could be handled differently like there's certain things that you just can't say and then it goes into the whole you know alopecia there's, there's a lot of layers to it you you can't <laughs> black women are sensitive about it you cannot talk about their hair no matter what it looks like you just can't yeah but that's, you, that's you can't thing. just haul off and slap he slapped the hell out of him no, he, didn't and, slap, he didn't slap the hell out of him. Chris Rock ain't that. He, 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 he leaned always to the side. I don't know. It was, like if Chris Rock would have been like knocked unconscious and like fell to the ground, and I'd be like, yo, that's a little bit much. But it was more like a like, hey, bro, like don't do that. Don't say that. It, I'm not saying that's the right way to handle things and that's the only way to handle things, but that was how he felt like he needed to handle that. And if that's how he felt, then so be it. You are responsible for what you say, no matter like what. The late, like the late, great Charlie Murphy said, <laughs> if you slap somebody, you have to die. Like, that other person has to die. Well, that's, you know, shout out to Chris Rock. Shout out to Charlie Murphy. Shout out to Eddie Murphy, who actually is having a birthday today. I don't have the stats up for how old he's turning, but probably 60-something. He's in his 60s. Legendary career. Um, And, you know, one of the... I was going to say, some would say he has a a, uh, better filmography than Will Smith. Some would say. I'm not saying I'd say that, but some some people would say that. You know what? I'd honestly have to really... I I think that's probably a South Breeze thing. I'd have to sit back and really think about it because Eddie had a lot of bangers, and he can can hit you in a lot of different ways. But um, one of the questions that we wanted to ask you is, what what is your favorite Eddie Murphy movie? Coming to America. Coming to America is the... For me, it's the funniest movie ever made. Like, that's... If we're doing top five comedies, I'm putting Coming to America up there, number one. And like it's hard, it's hard to beat that for me, um, but he has a he has like Eddie Murphy has some bangers in his his uh, filmography. Like not even mentioning like Coming to America, like his film specials or his comedy specials. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got he's got Shrek. He's got Shrek. He's four Shreks under his belt. Like those are not all of them, but at least two of those movies are classics. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you beat Shrek? Like how does like if you if you're doing a versus right, like and it's Eddie Murphy and Will Smith, and Eddie Murphy pulls out Shrek, what is Will Smith gonna put out like what's that a Shark's Tale or what that whatever animated that a little fish thing? 
Yeah, like I mean, I mean, I'm sure it was fine, but it's not Shrek. <laughs> like Shrek is that's God level movies right there. So one of the and, and I'll, I'll let you answer what your favorite one is. But one of the things that I always that I've always respected about Eddie Murphy and the things that he has done with his career, once he once he got to the point where he was like, "Yo, I'm the star here. I make the money. People have come to see me. I have a little bit more power now." He started to uh, empower black people on his film sets and his uh, comedy tours. Like, there was a while where he was just like, "Okay, the director is going to be black, the producer is going to be black, costume designer black, writer black, uh, the guy that holds the mic black, the guy the, the or the the person that's holding the the lights or the microphone or whoever." Like everybody on the set was a person was a black person. And I liked how Eddie Murphy kind of used his power to in, enable and, and empower other black people in Hollywood. And I wish, honestly, I wish more people would do that. Like I know, oh, yeah. you know LeBron does that with his with the people that he works with. Like his his a lot of his friends are now like his agents and marketing people and all these other things. Like more people should do stuff like that. I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely commendable. Uh, what he's able to, what he's been able to do. Um, and what I was going to ask before I get into mine, since your number one was so easy, get, give me your top three Eddie Murphy movies. Oof. Oof. So we know uh, one is, is Coming to America. Coming to America, I'm going to go with Nutty Professor 1 and Life. Okay. Life, life is life is that's that's a tough movie right there. Like life is one of the all time great movies. Like oh, him, yeah. him and Martin Lawrence together at their at their heyday is like that's comedy gold, right? And it, it's a it's a legit great movie. Like I, I feel like a lot of people tend to discredit comedies because it's like oh it's easy to do jokes. Like not nah, being funny is hard. You mm -hmm. like, we see doing it. Yeah, we see a lot of unfunny movies all the time. Like it's not an easy thing to do. And you know, you're gonna make me break into this. I didn't want to do this, but that is to me one of the reasons why I revere Friday the way that I revere it is because that's a movie where there was a whole lot of improv just shooting from the hip, and it's legit funny. Like it, it is a really, 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 really funny movie. Whew. So Friday is one of the all-time greats, just and not even all-time great funny movies, but just it's one of those like coming of age movies where like someone is dealing with the issue and like just if you look at the scenes between Craig and his dad when he's talking about like the whole gun thing he finds the gun like that scene right there that's a great scene in any movie and 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 that's why I get so upset that's why I get so upset when when they keep talking about like making another Friday movie like they I, I feel like they should have never made sequels to that movie because it just kind of it takes away from the impact that the original movie had. Like, I'm not saying that next Friday and Friday after next weren't funny, but they were legitimately just trying to just be uh, just funny, going for every single joke, like no matter how outlandish it was. Like Friday seemed like a real, like coming of, like kind of like how Boys in the Hood um, menaced to society without the violence. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. like, it, was, it, it, it felt realistic, like the conversations on the porch like we've all been there. We've all hung out with our friends and just chilling out, shooting the shit. We've all done that. We, we can relate to that stuff. But then once you get to like Friday after next, next Friday, it just becomes too silly. Where it's just like, all right, this is 
out of hand. This, they're doing too much. They're way too much. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of why I'm always like, they should have never made a sequel to that movie. Like, they should have just let that movie as it was, let it be that. And then it, maybe do something else, call it something else. But it should have, they should have never made sequels to Friday. That was like the worst thing they could have done. And now, I don't know if you heard or not, but of course, I'm, I still got to go back and answer my question. But yes. now they're actually thinking about doing a prequel to Friday. Oh, God. I forgot who I know. Um, ah, I forgot his name. I have to look somewhere, but I, I know I know the guys that are in it, and I'm like, really? Y'all gonna prequel Friday? Like, is it gonna be called Thursday? Yeah, I, I'm good on that. But um, yeah, my Eddie Murphy movies all time. I think I'm gonna actually side with you with the coming coming up coming to America, like. No brainer. It's hilarious. It's and that movie just got so big to where it's not just a black culture movie. Like everybody loves that movie, and that that's that's a testament to just a, a great movie. Not just a comedy, but just a great movie by Eddie Murphy. Slam dunk. Shoot number two. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I actually felt like this movie underachieved when I first seen it. I was like maybe 12, 13. Um, but as I have gotten older, understand the jokes a lot better, understand what's going on in this comedy, which is going to be life. I, I'm really like, dang, you know, it's a, it has a lot of layers to it. Like you're dealing with racism in the South. You're dealing with, you know, black people trying to hustle you to do this and this and that. Um, being put in jail for stuff you don't do, just all kind of things. Like, and then you watch them still be funny all the way through. Like, man, they could have, they could have took that movie and played it in so many different layers, and it would have just been hilarious. Like, well, even, even the scene where they were, uh, when they were all like, it was like at night or whatever, and they're there, and uh, Eddie's character was talking about like, oh, let's go to the boom boom room. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's like a that's that's legitimate like cinematic art right there when you're just like you can imagine all these guys that are in in prison for god knows how long and they're just like going to another place like it's it's easy to just like kind of just brush it off it's like nothing but they're out here like it, it's tough for those people yeah and you need that escape to be like oh let's take our minds off of the shit shit show we're in and go somewhere else. And they did a great job of doing that. And that that's actually one of my favorite parts of that movie is um, it takes me to when uh, Ray or Martin Lawrence, I'm sorry, that, that's Claude, I'm sorry. Or Martin Lawrence was like, hey, y'all hey, oh, shut that shit down. <laughs> and then, you know, everybody was, you know, hating on them, bickering back and forth. And then Eddie Murphy said, Shut your ass up. Give him some more chest and sauce for whoop your ass. It's exactly. just the way he said it, it just cracks me the hell up. Like, I love that part. Like I said, every time I watch the movie, it just gets better and better. And like that's a move, those two movies are movies that you're gonna see. Like, those are movies that I watch multiple times a year, no matter what. Third is really hard because boomerang. Ooh, it's yeah. one that I really did like a lot. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Boomerang. Like yeah. Boomerang and Norbit was real funny. And freaking the Nutty Professor and the Clumps was funny as hell too. But Nutty Professor's the original was hilarious. Even even 
Okay, because uh, that GA boy is in the chat talking about uh, trading places. And trading places is good. Okay, I remember trading places is really good too. Hey, but here's the hey. thing: this is a, this is the thing when it comes to like top tier uh, actors and in their movies. When you're doing like a top three, and you have the filmography that someone like Eddie Murphy has, something great is going to get left out. Like yeah. Forty Eight Hours is a great movie, but it's not it's not in my top three. Hills like, Cops is another. Hills Cops. Like, there's a like Eddie Murphy and none of the Shreks are in there. There's a lot of great Eddie Murphy movies, but you can only put three, and it's and that's it's more of a, it's not we're not trying to like shit on trading places or anything, but this is more of a testament to what Eddie has done throughout his career. He's been making movies since 1980 something, so it's like if you can only pick three, it's tough. So you're gonna you're gonna miss some good ones, and that's that's more of a like I said, that's a testament to what Eddie has done throughout his career. Like a trading places was a wonderful film, like. I remember when I was like, when I first got my first job um, at McDonald's back in the day, like on my first check, I went to the Walmart, paid like three eighty three, and got trading places, and it was like a, it was forty eight hours. Both of those came together as a, as a single disc, two halves. Like I, I watched the hell out of both of those movies. Trading places, my joint. Um, and to be honest with you, even like I really like. A newer film that he did, which is called uh, the Dolomite film, that kind of put yes. him back out there. Yes. Um, even the the you know the second coming coming to America, like that all star cast, it was still funny, and it's like coming back from the hype. Of course, it's not as funny as the first. Still put out a great film. Like I even watched um, Haunted House was great when it you know I was younger then when it came out. Um, but the movie that he had where he was, ah, it's not Yes Man. What, what, ah. Holy Man. Holy Man, yeah. I really like Holy Man a lot. Like, I'm, looking, a, I'm looking at his IMDb. He was in Mulan. I forgot he was in that movie. He was the dragon in that movie. They're and both, Shrek, Shrek. I, I yeah. like all three Shreks. So. Bowfinger, Dr. Doolittle. Like, he's got a lot of, he's got a, a, the adventures of Pluto Nash, Daddy Daycare. Like you said, the haunted mansion, like Dream Girls. He's in a lot of great oh, yeah, movies. Dream Girls too, yeah. Like a lot of great movies are in his his discography. So it's just like there's there's certain things that are gonna get um that are gonna get left out. And I, I just I, I probably should have put uh uh Dolomite is, Dolomite in my name might be his best like acting job acting performance, but it's just mm-hmm. like it's it's hard to fit every Good thing. It's like it's like trying to make a top three with Denzel Washington movies. Like someone's gonna. There's a you know what? Another one that we forgot about Harlem Nights. Like we Harlem Nights is a really good movie. Really funny. You know, The Golden Child was really good too. I remember that one. The one I was actually looking for was um Mr. Church is what it was called. Where I felt like it's not a good movie, but he did a great job acting in that movie. But yeah, he he definitely like I said you. You put any like, take take Harlem Nights and put it in Will Will Smith as Eddie Murphy. It's probably Will Smith's best movie, it, comedically, definitely. So I mean, for that to be on the second or third tier for Eddie just really speaks volume of just how funny these movies are with him. I'm another, you know what? Another one that I really did like too, and this would probably be my fourth would be Vampire in Brooklyn. Another great movie that I like. The Distinguished yeah. Gentleman, another film like 
That was a great film. He just he yeah. had so many. Yeah, Eddie Murphy's uh, filmography and career is a very it's a very tough one to beat. Like I'm not gonna say he doesn't have any any bad movies out there, but oh, the, the top the top tier movies that Eddie Murphy did, you're gonna have a hard time beating like beating him with anybody any. Like not even just like comedian, just any actor in general beating the movies that he's been a part of is going to be really tough. And the fact that he ca- he carried Saturday Night Live when they were floundering, like they were literally about to pull the plug on that show because it was like dried up and not going anywhere. And then and he and what he he started on Saturday Night Live like eighteen, like he was really young when he got on there, and he was one of the well, the first. Uh, well, not the first one, but like the only black cast member or something like that. And the fact that he was able to help that show maintain and blow it up and make it bigger. Like if without Eddie Murphy, Saturday Saturday Night Live is probably not on the air right now. Like that show probably gets canceled way back then. And we're, we never oh, talked yeah. about it. But he came through. <laughs> he came through and he saved that show. And, and thank you to Shan, as she pointed out, he's 61 today. So started out at 18 or 19 on that's SNL. Crazy. That's crazy. And just cooks. Like he's he's a he's a good one. It's a real all timer. He's an all-time guy. And you know what? When South Breeze, who, like I said, he's off the scene right now, off the grid. When he comes back, we're gonna have to get together, have a sit down with a guest, and Compare Will Smith's career to Eddie Murphy's career, um, and just really do that. Like I cannot wait. I think so, it's it's a, it's a lot closer than people would think. Like I said, you put the top ten Eddie Murphy movies up against anybody else's top ten. I'm talking anybody, like any actor, any actors ever. He's gonna. He's a tough out. He's a tough. He. It's not like. People act like Eddie Murphy is like Ice Cube or Kevin Hart in these movies. Like Eddie Murphy's movies are great, like timeless classic movies that span generations. Like Coming to America and Life are movies that if you put them on right now, they still hold up. And the thing that I like so much, I know we're just going on and on about Eddie. We're really giving him his flowers. The thing I also like the most is he isn't like, like you said, he's not like Kevin Hart. He's not like Ice Cube. He's not like Will Smith. He can actually act in a romantic movie, in a serious movie, take those roles. And it's he's acting as that person. And he's not just, oh, that's Eddie Murphy doing this. That's Eddie Murphy doing that. Like he, what he did in Dolomite yeah. was so captivating. Like I was like, wow, like it was. It was funny in a very subtle way, and it, it was just, it was a wonderful job that he did. And I, I, I'll give I'll, I'll shoot Kevin Hart a little bit of bail, like when it comes to what he's been doing. I think what he's been doing in his career a little bit later on is a little bit uh, better as far as like him showing uh, more range. But I feel like once Kevin Hart kind of got on, he just started like, "Hey, I'm going to do." all these movies that are going to generate the most money and get the most ticket sales and get uh, my face seen the most and maybe not doing the things that are more, I guess, fulfilling and more so like chasing a check, which I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about someone who, who worked, who worked as hard as Kevin Hart did to get where he's at. And then once he gets on, he's like, yo, 
I'm not going back to doing movies like Soul Plan. I'm going to do all these other movies that are going to make me as much money as possible. And now oh, that yeah. he's, he's got there, now he can, you know, hopefully he starts trying to branch out and do other things. Like there, there's movies that he's done earlier in his career before he was on that showed like, hey, Kevin Hart is a good actor. Like he can do, he can put on like a subtle performance where he's not being all like Kevin Hardy. Like he can do these types of movies, but back then it wasn't getting his name out there. He wasn't getting recognition for it. He wasn't generating money. He wasn't the box office star that he is today, but now he is that. So now you can kind of like, all right, now I can do the more uh, movies that fulfill me and are more challenging, more of the indie stuff. Yo, why is this nigga spying on us, bro? Oh, like, enjoy your here. time. Get out of here, man. Go enjoy make your some, time, go man. Eat or something. I'm sure he's got some food to make or something. Jesus yeah. Christ. He's going to try to cut it short from the chat. <laughs> you know what? A movie that kind of, to me, speaks on what you're saying that Kevin Hart did was uh, The Upside. I've seen that maybe about a month or two ago. And I was like, wow, you know, it's no Kevin Hart being Kevin Hart, no crazy jokes and stuff like that. It was just him acting. I was like, man, this is a pretty good movie. Like, it's, well, it's definitely a good movie. The thing that that changed uh, that recently changed my opinion on him was the uh, the Netflix show he did with the uh, Wesley Snipes. I'm, I'm sure oh yeah, fine. I don't know if you saw that, but like I watched oh, it. And I'm just like, he was he plays a comedian in the movie, but he's not it's not anything funny. Like he wasn't trying to be uh, funny in the show. He was being more serious and you have to be like, I feel like Wesley Snipes was the funniest person in that movie, but uh, let me see if I can uh, find it. He actually did. There was another movie. I I guess he's in his Netflix bag right now, but uh, true story on Netflix was really good. Another movie that I think the movie wasn't, I think the movie could have been better but his performance in uh, a movie called Fatherhood that's on Netflix, really strong performance. It was oh, like yeah. it was very subtle as he's playing a single dad who's, you know, the the mother of his child is lost during childbirth. And it's just like he showed some range in that. And I'm just like, that movie didn't get as much, you know, I feel like it didn't get as much credit in play as it should have based on the performance that he gave. But Kevin Hart, he has that in him. He has it in him. He just he just has to use it. And I feel like at this point. He he has made. I don't want. I'm not going to try to pocket watch him, but I feel like he's made enough money to be like, hey, I can I can start I can start turning some of these other roles down. Like I know you guys are offering a lot of money, but I don't have to do these. Let me try to yeah, do something. You know that what? I if I could never see him and the Rock in the film again, I, I'd be great. Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> now that's going to keep happening. I think they have a. There's an animated movie they're doing where they played dogs of superheroes him and him and the rock are doing that like this it is what it is like it, i get why he does movies like that but i would also like to see him show that he's a legitimate actor out here and that he can do some other things outside of just being kevin hart the funny guy in a movie you're definitely right about that so um whew. Let's see what topic next. I guess we will go. I guess we could do the um, better you than me, Bernardo. Okay, so uh, we always have like these conversations about uh, if 
if an album is a classic or not. And a lot of these, um, a lot of people either on Twitter or on, <laughs> or on uh, podcasts or whatever, they'll listen to an album over the weekend. And it's just like, oh, well, this album is a classic, undisputed classic. And for me, I think an album has to be out for at least, I think at the very, very, very least, it has to be out for three years for it to be considered a classic. And I just decided to like, okay, for me, I'm going to go, you know, five years. This, this wow. album came out, came out five years ago. And there's a lot of albums that actually came out five, five years ago that probably are in the conversation for being a classic, but I just picked uh, Rick Ross better than me. Like if you look at what came out in 2017, uh, Bodak Yellow, 444, Damn, uh, Culture, and uh, Big Fish Theory, there was some pretty solid albums that came out that year. And it's just like, you get you let some of these albums breathe for a little bit and let them uh, live and kind of, you go back and it's just like, okay, did these albums, do they stand the test of time? Do they uh, still hold up five years later? Can I put this on right now? Can I put it on in the car, put it on in the gym or at the house or anywhere and listen to it and be like, okay, this album is still great this is still a good listen and I, I listened to this album like twice today and it's funny that we were talking about rick ross or not rick ross we were talking about uh the the incident at the oscars because chris rock is uh on this album like three times for skits or whatever so i thought that was kind of uh interesting. i didn't i wish i could say i did that on purpose but i did not do that on purpose but i went back and i listened to it there's i added one two three four five I added five songs from that album to a playlist to, to certain playlists, or like a bunch of other playlists. There's a lot of great songs on this album and the feature list is pretty solid. Also, there were a couple moments that I was listening to it and there's a couple bars on there. They're just like, why, why would you say that? Like on the first song when it was talking about, uh, like fingering girls and then going home to tell his daughter about it. I'm just like, why, why would you say that? You're, Please just keep that to yourself. <laughs> I didn't need to hear that. Um, the uh, the song he did, uh, "Idols Become Rivals," the this song, the baby. I forgot how, like, scathing that song was. Like that was pretty. Like if I'm baby, I'm, I'm I might go see uh, Rick Ross about that song because that seemed like really, really like a real personal attack and really picked him apart. Like that could be one of the best uh disc records of all time like it's probably like a top 10 disc record and, and it doesn't really feel like it because rick ross is he's not he's doing that thing that parents do when they're like upset at their kids where it's like i'm not mad i'm just disappointed that's how rick ross sounded that entire song he sounded so disappointed in baby and how he treated wayne and Khaled. and it's just it's it's um uh, there's some great records on there like him uh young thug Wale, um, he's got a, him and Nas always do great songs together. Uh, yep. Meek Mill, Future, uh, uh, Yo Gotti, Gucci. Like, there's a it's a it's a great album. Um, I know I know Chan saying that I don't make the rules. I, I'm not saying that I make the rules, but I think when it comes to determining if an album is a classic or not, I think we have to have some sort of standard for that. And I'm not saying everybody has to do what I'm doing and say like, oh, you got to give an album five years before you determine that. 
but it can't be like, oh, I listened to this album for two weeks. This is a classic. You know what I'm saying? Like, it can't, it can't be that. We got to have standards out here. And I just don't think, uh, I feel like three to five years is a, is, a, is a good enough time to really determine like, hey, does this album still hold up? Does, it, does the production still hold up? Do the lyrics still hold up? Is it is it better or worse than the music that's being put out now? Like, so like if Better You Than Me came out this year, is it one of the is it one of the better albums that's out right now? And based on what's came out so far this year, I'd I'd probably say no. Like I don't know if it's better than um what albums have come out. Like some of the stuff that like what Benny the Butcher put out or what Conway put out or what Denzel Curry put out or even what uh oh god, I'm blanking. Who who <sighs> let me go to my list. Um the DDD uh, Saba or uh, Earth Gang. Earth Gang right now is has the best album. So it's just like, is better you than me better than Ghetto Gods? And for me, I would say no. But it's it's a it's a balance snack where you have to you really have to kind of go back and forth and be like, hey, can I put this album up against the best albums of the current times? And can I put it up against some of the greatest albums of all time? Like, can I put better you than me up against Equimini or Illmatic or Reasonable Doubt or College Dropout, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, all these other all-time classic albums. And do I feel comfortable being like, hey, this is on that level? And for me, when it comes to Rick Ross's uh, Better You Than Me, I'm going to say it's not a classic. It's a great album, but I'm going to say it's not a classic right now. I'm going to say no. That's a real bold take, man, because I think we could probably pull the tape. And um, we were kind of rocking in some agreement with um, with the Rick Ross and thinking at the time that it was definitely in that classic range. Um, for me, when it comes to Mr. Ross and this album, I was actually going to say the same thing that you said. Like, to me... It's a great album. It's not a classic. It's not even by far Rick Ross's best album, which to me is Trilla. Um, I don't, there's not even many artists that can say they had as, as hard of a run as from Trilla, Deeper Than Rap, and Teflon Don. Like, this guy has put out amazing pro- projects. And I would still say, rather, You Than Me is probably his fourth best body of work like it's just it's a it's great and, and i would struggle with that because i really like black market like it it just is once again i know we're talking testaments this is a testament this guy puts out great albums um classic albums uh takes risk musically that some artists are just incapable of doing the word plays bar none like Man, so I, I tell people all the time, like that Mafia Music 2 is probably, and you can only see it on YouTube, YouTube Music, but it's probably an all-time great song for me. Um, just that, just rapping, I mean, the beat itself is such a rare beat, it doesn't even clear samples. Um and it will cost a boatload to do it, but the beat itself, the way I think the uh, the Olympics did it, the way they did the beat, the way he's flowing, the subject matter, 
the the cars, the swagger, the I made it. Like that that is probably one of my all time favorite songs. Period. Like it's it's just, and I think what adds to it is because it's not on any streaming platform where you can regularly get to. I mean, YouTube is kind of annoying with the you know the ads and you got to look for it and the sound quality sometimes isn't all that so you can't get it on your title on your apple music on your spotify and so that adds to the just the specialness of it but if y'all do me a favor and i know i got a grammy and i had talked about this just the way this dude ate that track is it's it's legendary in my opinion so just 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 all up yeah, better you than me. It, there's some songs that I would add to my all-time playlist for Rick Ross. I love the album; it's a great album, um, but I don't think it's a classic. Five years later, I think as far as uh, Rick Ross's career, I think uh, I don't. I don't know if he. I don't know if we, if they give him credit for it, but I feel like when it comes to picking production and beats that actually feel rich like that feel luxurious i'm not saying he was the first rapper to do it but he kind of made it to where it's just like when rick ross picks a beat you know you're gonna feel like no matter what kind of car you drive you feel like you're in a maybach or no matter what kind of shoes you wear you feel like you're wearing you know the the most expensive shoes you feel like the production makes you feel like you got on you know a thirty thousand dollar chain or twenty thousand dollar glasses like that's that's one thing that I'll, I'll always respect Rick Ross for doing is being able to say like, hey, we're we're moving away from the whole boom bap, like super hard, gritty, you know, production. We're going to give you something that's a little bit more lush and makes you feel like, hey, I've, I've made it. Like I can put this on and it takes me to another place mentally that makes me feel like I got, you know, some money in my pocket that I got, a you know, a baddie next to me, all these other things. And that's I kind of I, I kind of wonder who who was doing it like maybe like pimp c was probably doing that like with his the production that him and and bumby and ugk were writing to like that uh what's it uh like swishes and doges like that 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 music that they were making kind of felt that same way but i don't know if the the lyrics kind of reflected that but i yeah i'd give i that's probably something i have to really like dive in and think about to really say like can can you credit Rick Ross for for that type of beat selection? Like without without what Rick Ross is doing, I feel like we don't have like what Larry June is doing. Like the music that Larry June is making kind of feels that same way, where it's like you feel like you're riding in that nice car. You know, you feel like you you're riding clean like that. And I mean, maybe you're not, but you feel like it, and that's what the music should do. It should make you feel something. It definitely should, and I mean, just. Yeah, Ross. Ross got some gems. I've been a little disappointed in his last two albums. I mean, they're they're just good to me, and I feel like I don't know what he's doing, but something's just a little off. But just all time, because while you were talking, I decided to think about the song he did called "Even Deeper," where once again it's just a YouTube song. They sampled Barry White, and he just the way they did it. it Man, the way he flowed and cut through that song made it feel like he was, you know, somewhere in the 80s riding in a big pink Cadillac with big plush leather seats and all that. 
it was just it was great. Like I, I really, yeah, man. Ross, his beat selection, I don't think anybody's close. And I don't think uh, the only one that would be would be Jay, maybe. But I feel like he's got like his beat selection, the, the runners, and everything that he's on is just a one from day one. That's facts. That's facts. Man, has a great year. One of the all-time greatest years. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're consistently putting out top-notch like product. I mean, it, it's songs on, on every album. I, I can find a song that I can really rock with, like no matter what. So that's something that's rare. Um, and then the has like the most number one records in a row or something like that. Just he he's doing a lot. And and, the, and I want to say, to be honest with you, I felt like Rick Ross during the period where deeper than rap was coming out, he had a couple mixtapes, uh, Albert Anastasia and, um, which to me, classic mixtape. They had another mixtape that came out around that time. And then Teflon Don was cooking and he was just dropping this after this, I'm talking about he was just annihilating 50. Yeah, I felt like during that time, that was when we were leaving Wayne and we were at Ross's peak right there. I felt like right there, Rick Ross was the best rapper in the game. Like he was just, I'm a beat, I'm gonna pick this Tupac sample, I'm gonna drop a video in front of my car. I'm finna pick this sample. I'm finna do this. We finna clear that. I'm putting this out. Boom, boom, boom. And like 50 was trying to do the clown and stuff and drawing the pictures yeah. and doing all this. But music. Yeah. At the end of the day. Like you can try, you can you can try to you can try to win a beef on the internet through like memes and, and jokes and videos. You can try that. And but at the end of the day, it's about the music. Like you can go back to the to the Drake and Meek Mill beef. Like yeah, Drake. Drake did. There was a. There were a lot of memes. There were a lot of jokes on the internet that Drake threw at Meek Mill. But he also had the bars to back it up with the the music that he was putting out. Like the the songs that Drake put out to diss Meek Mill were a one songs to go along with the memes. And Fifty Cent, it was kind of just one side. It was just like, hey, I got these jokes. I got these memes. I got these pictures. But where's the music? At the end of the day, it's about the music. And if and even to to move off of that, like if Rick Ross right now was to put put out an EP of of just the Maybach music that he has, the six, because uh, I had that I had that as a playlist where it's just all all six of the Maybach music songs in order. It's six songs and it's like twenty eight minutes long. And right now in twenty twenty two, that could be uh, considered an album right now. And if he put that out, if that came out right now in this this year, that would probably be a top five project of the year because those songs are that great. Like that Maybach series, like if you go back and listen to it, like Maybach Music 1, who's on that? Jay-Z's on that. Maybach Music 2, uh, Kanye West and T-Pain. Uh, Maybach Music 3, T.I., Jadakiss. Uh, I can't see it. But I'm sure everybody knows all those songs, but like, those Maybach series are impeccable. Like those songs are all like top-notch songs. And not a lot of rappers are able to do something like that. And that's that's something that I hope that he continues to do is to continue to put out those types of songs. 
Definitely. And uh, South Reese says, fun fact, all of them were produced by Justice League except Part 5, which I think is underrated. Part 5 has Deja Lope. That was on uh, the album we were just talking about for, for Ross. Um, I like that one. I'm not like that. That We could do a whole like music segment on ranking the Maybach musics as far as like which one's the best, which one's, you know, because I feel like there's there's ones where the lyrics are, are really high end, but then there's some where the production really carries it. So that's that's a lot of things. So Yeah, and to me it's kind of tough to say. I mean, I've listened to all the other ones. One and two are just, you know, I that that's just a personal fave for me. I don't I don't think it gets any better than one, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, just the way that it hit the scene, it was something that was definitely different. So for sure. Maybach like Music One. Uh, make sure y'all go and check that out uh, this week. Thanks. All right. So I mean, Maybach Music. We did the Eddie, of course. We got a, a guest joining in, so. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll go with, uh, well, you know, we'll stick with music. So can you be a top 20 artist without a classic album is the question that has been presented. Marcus, what's your thoughts on that? You <laughs> a top 20 artists with no classic. <clears throat> Drake. Yeah. So uh, I think it was like maybe two or three days ago I was putting together a list. <laughs> I was putting my top 10 list together and I was like, all right, now I got my top 10. I feel like the top 10 that I put out is in order. And I was like, all right, let me do 11 through 20. And I started going through it. I'm sorry. I'm like, all right, let me put him there, put them there, put them there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting to like 17, 18, 19. And I'm like, yo, I don't have Drake here. I don't have J. Cole here. And, and it's just a thing where we have these conversations about rap all the time and these all-time greats and stuff. And people are always like, yeah, you know, Drake's an all-time great. J. Cole's an all-time great. They're going to finish in the top 10 all-time, things of that nature. And I started looking at my list. And I'm and I'm and I guess I was asking myself the question. I asked Twitter. And I was like, hey, can you be considered top? I, what, I, what I originally said is like, you're not going to be in my top 10 if you don't have a classic album, right? And I think that's a fair statement, fair assessment for, I think anybody could agree with that. If you don't have a classic album, you're not in the top 10. And if I look at my top 10, Jay-Z, Nas, Kendrick, Kanye, Eminem, Wayne, Lupe, Tupac, Andre, and Big Boy, those are all rappers with multiple classic albums. I can't justify taking any of those guys out to put Drake in there or to put J. Cole in there because they don't have classic albums. And it's just like, okay. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's fine. So let me let me go do 11 through 20, and I'm, I'm sure I could get Drake in there in the top 12. I'm sure I could get J. Cole in there in the top uh, 15. And I start looking, and I'm like, all right, the game, he's got multiple classic albums. Pusha T has got a classic album. Uh, DMX, classic album. Rick Ross, classic album. T.I., Ludacris, Jeezy, Biggie Smalls, Snoop Dogg, 
Like who who out of those rappers am I being like, all right, I know you got a classic, but I'm putting Drake above you. I know you got classics, but I'm putting J. Cole above you. Which which of those rappers am I putting, am I knocking down off of that list? And who am I taking out of the top 20 to put Drake in there? I, I don't know if I can do it. If you ain't got a classic, I, I, I went on Twitter and I was like, hey, if you ain't got a classic, you're not going in my top 10. Now, if you ain't got a classic, you can't you I can't justify putting you in the top 20. Like Biggie Smalls is not in my top 10. You want me to put Drake in there? You want to put Cole in there? Like, am I wrong? Am I tripping? Am I doing too much? Let me ask you this. Do you think that they're in a position where if they had an album or two that they'd be able to get in there, like another great or even a, a, a classic that it put them in your top 10. Like what, like right now, what would it take for Kendrick Lamar to be in your top 10? He's in my top 10. He was number three. I'm talking about J Cole and Drake. Oh, J Cole. I'm sorry. I what what would it take J Cole to be in your top 10? Honestly, for him to get in my top 10, He's gonna need a. He might need an all timer, honestly, because I can't. I'm looking at the ones that I, that I, that he's never going to surpass. Like he's, ne- there's nothing J Cole can do that's going to dethrone Jay Z, right? And I think that's okay. Let me know if I'm out of line for saying this. J Cole is never gonna surpass Jay Z, fair or not? In your opinion. <sighs> that's just, fair. Just, Okay. Right now, yeah. Nas. Fair or not. He's gonna have to get on a hot run late in his career, but he can. Fair or not. You so you think there is something J. Cole could do that could I, I, th- I could think it's something he could do to get past Nas. Okay, Kendrick. Because this is a conversation that's being had on the timeline as far as like okay, Kendrick him. would have to retire now. People think he has. <laughs> People think he has, and then if J. Cole could put out some some great albums, I don't be classic, just great. Give me Voluminati again. Give me 2014 Forest Hills Drive. The the last couple of them, they've been good, but they're not great. Um, give or give me Friday Night Lights. Um, and he does have a classic mixtape, which we kind of do. You know, nah, J. Cole, J. Cole is a classic mixtape. Friday Night Lights is a classic mixtape. I'll give yeah, that. that's a classic mixtape. But it's like Kanye West. Can he surpass Kanye? There's not a chance in hell. Eminem. You get Eminem so many props, my like I cannot sit here and listen to Eminem praise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I cannot sit here in silence and listen to you praise Eminem. <laughs> Give it to me. Get so you're saying J. Cole can surprise Eminem. Eminem, like I don't get, like, first of all, I think classic album is such a subject, subjective thing. Like, you don't think Drake has any classic albums, but a lot of niggas will tell you Take Care is a classic album or nothing was the same. I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying that it, a classic album, I think, is a lot more opinion than actual fact if we really get to the, like, the nitty gritty of it. Um, it's a lot of um, how it makes you feel. Where were you in the moment? What is this tied to in your memory? Like, it's a lot of people like I don't know if Rick Ross has a classic album because I don't listen to that nigga. So he's not in my top 20. I don't listen to Rick Ross. After you said put a Molly in her champagne, she don't even know it. I chucked him away and never paid attention to him again. So That's like fair. somebody like Eminem, who I haven't listened to since he, you know, had that surprise. Well, not surprise, but that feature on um 
whichever pink print that was, I, I can't even pull it up in my mind. Roman's Revenge, though, is the song. Um, like, I don't know if Eminem is ever cracking my top 20. I don't know if Push is ever top of my, like, but that doesn't mean that you're wrong for having them there. It's just that, like, that's not my type of album. I Honestly, I'd put T.I. in my top 10 to 20. Like, everybody's top 10 to 20 fluctuates, but what I will not stand for is Eminem. <laughs> I understand. But the thing is, it's like, it's easy to say that, but once you sit down and start, because it was hard for me, and I started, like, sitting down and going through it, and I was like, Yo, who, where like, where did where where are some of these rappers gonna fit in? Because you know what? No, hold on, hold on. I, I need a rebuttal real quick. I apologize. Look, we were alive during the time okay. of Shady LP and the Marshall Mathers LP. I don't care how hard people try to cap nine days. That stuff was worldwide. And well, no, that's fair. Eminem did a thing where he wasn't the corny white rapper. Like he wasn't Vanilla yeah. Ice, <laughs> and so he Top, really did. He has. A top fifty rap album all time. With I'm sure, he, like Marcus Fisher's game. Uh, the game is another artist who I don't give enough attention to to know whether or not he has a classic album or not. Um, that's just I'm, again, I'm not saying that's wrong. And honestly, I I pick fun at Eminem all all the time. But Eminem did create a lane where white rappers didn't exist, and honestly, not many white rappers have touched that lane since, except for Mac Miller. Who, if you ask me today, right now. I'm going to put Mac Miller over Eminem, but that is a personal feeling that is not music based at all. Um, that's just personal. But I just, again, when I think when we get into rap conversations, just music conversations, a lot of it is subjective. Like people will give Biggie and Tupac classic albums, and I'm not saying that they don't have classic albums, but they don't have a large enough body of work. I'm in my I, top I, 10. I'd say, and I've, I've had discussions like that on Twitter also where people are just like, why isn't Biggie in your top 10? I'm just like, yo, he's only got two albums, man. Like, I'm not putting someone with two albums. One is a classic. One is, like, really good to great. I can't justify putting him in the top 10 when there's other rappers out here that are putting out multiple classics that have more songs, more features. They just have that. That's, And I, I think I've said this before. Like, Biggie Smalls is Terrell Davis. Like, Terrell Davis had two great years, and that was it. I can't put I can't say that Terrell Davis is the greatest running back of all time based off of two seasons when you have running backs like Barry Sanders and Marshall Falk and Evan Smith. Like there's a bunch of other Edwin James, there's a lot of other uh, running backs that have had longer careers at higher levels than what uh, Terrell Davis did. I'm not trying to shit on Biggie, but I'm not going to act like what Lil Wayne has done in his career isn't bigger and better than what Biggie did. Like he's got two He's got two albums. I'm sorry. Like it's and it's not even a disrespect thing, but it is what it is. Like I can't I can't justify it. And a lot and that's something that a lot of older people have an issue with. Like if you're if you're someone that was like uh uh like coming of age in the 80s, Biggie and Pac are like your guys, like you grew up with them, but it's like you you can't hold on to that. And and it, I and I it's do like the word that'll tell you like, "Oh, you ain't got Rakim in your top 10 to 20?" That's oh, you missing said, out. That, that's, that's what me, exactly. that's me why and I said that talking about that. conversation is so subjective because, like, I ain't never heard no Rock Him album. So, no, he's not here my top 10 to 20. Sorry. That doesn't mean that your take is bad. That just means that Rock Him ain't it for me in the top 10 to 20. And and whenever, whenever like, music is discussed, especially rap music, like, you, you have to kind of – I usually I, I usually ask the person, like, how old they are. Sometimes they take it, and I always try to do it in the most like non-confrontational 
like non disrespectful way. Like whenever I talk to, talk music with older people or even younger people like KJ, where it's just like, hey, how old are you? So I can kind of understand where you're coming from. Because if we're talking about rap and we're talking about top fives and top tens, and you start throwing out KRS One and Big Daddy Kane, I'm gonna ask you how old you are. Because if you say something over forty, I'm like, okay, yep. I'm not say, I'm not saying that you're wrong. But we're talk we're talking about different eras of music. And it's like 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 everybody's saying this is all subjective, and this is and like I I've, I'm reading off of my list. Like this isn't from any magazine article or Rolling Stones or anything. This is my personal list, and I'm going off of what I and I I was telling Tech that for me, rap music starts in 1994 with Illmatic. Like anything before Illmatic, I'm not talking about it. I'm not putting it on my list. I'm not putting it anywhere. Like you're just not gonna be there. Yeah. So I feel the same way about any prior to like 2000. Like, I grew up listening to the Hot Boys. I remember vividly like seeing Hot Boys on the, the 106 and Park countdown. So like, yeah. I'm not. I have no reverence for like Illmatic because I wasn't listening to Illmatic. My daddy wasn't listening to Illmatic. My daddy was listening to N.W.A. <laughs> um, so like those was that was like my introduction to hip hop. Like Ice Cube and N.W.A. And he was listening to like T.I. real heavy when T.I. first came out, or like Jeezy. Like that's my frame of reference for music. So like my top ten to twenty is probably going to be a lot more southern and like west coast skewed. I don't listen to and, a lot of new hip hop. And and here's the thing: what I would like, what I would like for you to do, is next time you're on, I would like you to have your top twenty list. My top twenty rappers. That's gonna be hard because do I listen? I, to I'm, t- I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I would. I I want you to put that list together. Well, next time, next time we have you on, I would like you to come with your top twenty list because it's not. It's not as easy as people think it is. Like people are just like, oh yeah, yeah, top ten. He's top ten. He's in the top ten. Whatever, whatever. And then you start getting past ten. You start getting down 11, 12, 15. Now you're at twenty. You're just like, whoa. Like I will say, when you start to get to your eleven and twenty, like when you say like, who would you you can't choose anybody to put Drake and Cole over. But like I know that I'm probably pulling game and pushing out my top my eleven through twenty. I'm probably pulling game. I'm probably pulling pusher. I'm probably pulling Rick Ross and like in that place, I'm probably adding Cole. I still don't see it for Drake as like a top 10 to 20 rapper. No disrespect to Aubrey, but it's just, I think he's entertaining and I think he's fun, but I don't know if I've ever looked at him as like a rapper, like somebody who can like really command emotionally. Um, I probably throw Kim into that 11 through 20 spot. Eve is probably there for me somewhere. Like don't do that to Eve. Eve was a great rapper. She's with that Sorry. white man now. He's living a whole different life. The rapper, she'd probably be like, hey, that wasn't me. I'm sorry. I probably put Missy in my top 10 to 20 somewhere. Like, there's a lot of people that I probably plug from your list to place uh, a couple more people. And if I if if I had to pick, if I had to pick between like, all right, J. Cole or Drake, who has the best chance? To get into that top 10 who has the best um ability or opportunity to, to crack my top 10 based on what they put out recently like based off of their last albums between the off season and certified lover boy I, i'm going j cole like i feel like drake is kind of he's thrown in the towel at this point in his career like not and i'm not i'm not saying drake makes bad music i'm just saying that when you come out with an album like certified lover boy that's uninspired that's what Not, I was just about to say. I don't think Drake yeah. makes bad music. He just doesn't make inspired music. Like, he doesn't make music that makes me feel like... Like, when I hear Tyler, the creator album, I know that Tyler took some time away. He took two, three years, four years away and, like, really thought on something 
that pushed him forward from the last album, whether you think it's good or not, which most people think it's good. But like, I can tell Tyler took time away, crafted a new story, crafted a new world, and then put music out. I just think that Drake digs into songs he hasn't put out yet that he rapped, you know, 10 to, 10 to 12 years ago and puts it on the album and he knows it's going to sell because his demographic doesn't care what he puts out. It, they don't care if it's good or not. They would rather get a certified lover boy than not hear from him for a couple years. Okay, and here's the thing. Could you justify putting Drake or J. Cole over Tyler, the creator? Because I feel like I could justify Tyler, the creator, having a classic album over those two. Like, I feel like his discography compared to those two is probably the highs are way higher than what they put out, especially recently, like Flower Boy. I could justify Tyler over Drake with no question. Like, again, because I think Tyler makes really fun music like Cherry Bomb don't sound like Call Me If You Get Lost. Call Me If You Get Lost don't sound like Wolf. Wolf don't sound like Bastard, so on and so forth. Like, I think he he has a lot of fun with his music, and you can hear that. You can tell that. So Tyler over Drake, no question. Tyler over Cole would probably take more thought, but it isn't because – it's more because I feel like I have a more emotional reaction to Cole. Like, I feel like Cole has been through – I've had Cole with me through different phases of my life, and there were times where, like, Tyler – I kind of lapsed in what Tyler was doing. No disrespect to Tyler at all. Um, so that would probably be the only thing that like makes me have to toss them back and forth. Um, but Tyler over Drake is no question. I mean, and also what hurts the uh, the Tyler versus J. Cole discussion is you listen to the production. Like Tyler, the creator, produces all his music, and he's producing at a way higher level than what J. Cole has done on his albums. And I think that's... I will say Cole... Cole almost falls into the Drake category, but not quite because Cole will deliver you a good verse no matter what. Like, you put Cole in a feature, Cole probably gonna eat it. Um, oh, there's no probably on that. Right. Um, Cole will eat a, so, a, a feature. I think the difference, the big difference between Tyler and Cole for me is that Tyler from the jump told you, like, even without saying it, was like, I'm gonna play with music. Like, I'm not here to be the 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 rapper that y'all have been used to like i'm here to play with visuals i'm here to play with sounds like i'm playing with instruments and i'm gonna keep evolving my look um and i think cole maybe fell into this like very nas way of rapping a very jay-z way of rapping where i'm gonna rap about these subjects on these kind of beats <laughs> for this long my album's gonna sound like this and they're gonna come out every two to four years um and i think that takes I don't know if he lets himself have as much has had. I don't know if he lets himself have as much fun as he could have if he released or relinquished the uh, need to produce everything. If he spent more time with other producers and just kind of gave him the space, gave himself the space to rap and be creative and to play with flows and things like that. He has JC's number. JC has the number to every elite producer out there. He has Neptune's number. He can get in contact with producers. And J. Cole don't want to get in contact with, with producers because when black men get old, they like control. <laughs> and this man got two kids. <laughs> he like control. He want to make the beat. And I implore him to, to get with one of these young niggas, get with Quay, get with I don't, any one of these young niggas and have some fun. Like, you almost out of here anyway. You might as well rap over beats. That's fun. <laughs> Kind of do what uh like Kendrick did on Damn, where it's just like, hey, I'm gonna get some of these these trap producers. I'm gonna get Mike Will made it. I'm gonna give him get him to get me some fire beats to me for me to rap on. Especially coming off of 
to Pimp a Butterfly, where it's mostly the jazz influence type beats. And I was like, all right, let me let me give the people what they want. Like people were saying, like, hey, my raps were good, but we didn't need we I can't listen to this in the car. Nah, I'm gonna get on some of these other beats on this damn uh, album, and you guys are gonna be able to rock this in the car now. And, but even with to, to Pimp a Butterfly, when that quote, the quote that comes to mind, it was like, do be different now so that people don't try to put you in a box. I don't think Cole ever had a moment where he was like, I'm going to be different now so people don't put me in a box. And so anything after Friday Night Lights is going to sound like Friday Night Lights or maybe something that's not comparable because I don't know that he ever took the time to experiment with production when he when he was young. And by young, I mean like younger in the game. Whereas now, if Cole was to rap over Prime, For Your Eyes Only, which is probably his most experimental album in terms of sound, niggas hate it, For Your Eyes Only. Because it was too late for Cole to try to be different. Whereas Kendrick was like, all right, second album to Pimp a Butterfly, like, or third album. I don't know which one it is in the discography, but it's about to sound like jazz. So, yeah, it gets with it. And people hate to Pimp a Butterfly, but it didn't stop Kendrick. And that, you know, is one of his more critically acclaimed albums. So, I wish Cole would have took the time early in his career to experiment and play with production and play with his flows and. A little bit more because now anything that he does that is off kilt off center of that he's not going to get the praise that he may be searching for well it's now that people are now giving him props for just rapping over someone else's production now it's like if j cole is on a different producer's beat if he's rapping over someone else's beat now it's like oh j cole's trying something new and it's like we're gonna give him props for just rapping on a different beat like that they a, a better beat because people are so tired of the, the the beats that he's been producing, and I don't think they're bad beats. I just think that they maybe not, they're not the most interesting beats for him. And I don't know if he's just like unwilling. Like Crit produces a lot of his own stuff too, but I know Crit isn't afraid to go get with another producer. I'm not saying Cole's afraid, but I'm just saying Crit gonna be on another another producer's uh, beat before Cole is. J. Cole ain't a good enough producer to be producing full-length albums. Like well, if you, you, if, you <laughs> if you okay, if you ask if you ask an artist like, hey, uh we want Tyler the creator to produce your album, they're probably gonna be like, All right, cool, we can do that. You ask them like uh, you can't do it now, obviously, but if they're like, Hey, we want Mac Miller to produce your album for you, that's probably a go. You bring in J. Cole talking about hey, or even you ask you say like, hey, big Chris go produce your album cool you want j cole producing your album because i'm not i'm not that's not getting me excited like if i hear there's a not not j cole rapping but there's a, a j cole produced album coming out that does not get me excited no matter who the rapper is like that 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 producer doesn't do anything for me and I, it, it's sad because he, he he is a great rapper but the production is just it just isn't there for me he's just not good enough <laughs> to be producing full-length albums. It's just, he's, yeah, I feel like he kind of sabotaged his own career by doing that. That man said he retired anyway, so we're probably going to get one more J. Cole fully produced album, and then he's going to be like, all right, I'm about to go be a dad. See you later. <laughs> yeah, because you can't rap at a high level as a parent. <laughs> I have some kids coming in and out of the studio. I don't know how kids act. I'm just, it's just totally a conjecture in my mind. I don't know what it is like to live with children. <laughs> I've been around kids for maybe like six hours spurts, and I've been like, get them out of my face. Yeah, six hours spurts is like, that's like work, man. 
That's tough. <laughs> like for, for me to spend six hours around someone's kids, that's not mine would be a chore. Like, good God. Six hours? When they start no. crying, it's when they have to go. When they start crying or like asking for food or like things that I feel like you could just go do because you are a human, that's when you got to go. <laughs> you can't do this on your own. You are six. Go in there and make cereal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know if you want to. I, I, I don't know if I want to do this uh, Pusha T all all time over T.I. Ludacris. Like, I didn't. I asked the question, and on my list, he's up higher, but my list from 11 to 20 is not in order. And it just came to my head when I was looking. I saw, like, I had Pusha T ahead of, like, T.I. and Ludacris. I'm like, is is he better than them all time? Like, and I only ask that because it's like you have to look at what Pusha T did, like, with clips, like the albums that he did early on with his brother, and then what he's doing now. Because, like, he's still actively rapping at a high level still. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's, like, disrespectful, but, like, Ludacris's career as a rapper is over. Like, T.I.'s career <laughs> as a rapper is over. Like, the last the last few albums both of those rappers put out have done little to nothing. And I know a lot Libra of people... Libra was pretty good. Which one? Libra, Paper Trail, those were, those were pretty good albums. Okay. The way I didn't listen to Libra. That's what I was like. I was like, what, what are you talking about? But, like... We can we can say that Ti is like he's no longer really uh, he's not an active rapper. I don't think like he he'll he'll show up on a few songs here and there. He can be an active rapper at the moment, but never mind. Oh jeez, yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's not really an active rapper, but like I guess he did he drop it. Hold on a second, let me. He did drop Libra recently, like I think, like yeah, Libra was like last year. <laughs> no, he dropped it in, he dropped it in 2020. But like, oh. once you get past like, duh, I'm like, I'm looking at like No Mercy in 2010. Like after that, he drops like Trouble Man, Paperwork, Dime Trap, The Libra. Like, just pack it in, bro. Like it, it those. He's not. He's not trap music, urban legend. King Ti, like that guy is is gone, and 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 that's what I was kind of, I wasn't trying to say that Pusha T is ahead of these guys, but it was just a conversation, you know, that that we were having on Twitter, and it's just like, if you look at the highs, the highs of Ti and Ludacris and their heyday, like I said, you go from like I'm serious trap music, urban legend, King, Ti versus TIP, Paper Trail, and then some of the singles that Ti, especially in in the singles that Ludacris had. I feel like Pusha T has never reached those highs when it comes to like popularity, album sales, and things like that. But if we're talking about like the best albums, like the best album that Pusha T put out, is it better than the best albums like Ludacris and Ti put out? And I think, I think what I'm for me, I would say that I think Ti's best album is is better than Daytona. And I think it's more of a discussion to to think if um, Ludacris' best album is better than Daytona. I, I just thought it was something. And honestly, I didn't think it would turn into such a huge discussion on the timeline, but 
it, it was a lot of people were kind of I don't want to say they were upset, but they were kind of upset that I would even question like, hey, is Pusha T higher on the list than Ti and Ludacris? You know what? I gotta interject real quick, and I apologize because it was one thing on the part where I was getting into it, not really with your homeboy. Like, how do you not know that word of mouth wasn't a classic? That's the question of the week that I have. Like that to me, that is just a it, no questions asked classic. Yeah, oh, what what hits does Ludacris have? What does this Ludacris Ludacris was that run he had was was a run? It was a hell of a run that led well, to I, a movie. People Go know ahead. Chris Bridges, the 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 Fast and Furious star. Like they know Ludacris, the rapper. I mean, the, the actor. And a lot of people don't know that Ludacris, like. Ludacris, like you said, had a long, like from debut to like about mid towards the latter half of his career. I don't know if there are any bad Ludacris features, bad Ludacris songs. Like I'm sure there are to some people, but I think the more people know Ludacris, the actor, they the more they forget about Ludacris, the rapper, and what he did for Atlanta hip hop at that time. Yeah, if you, I mean, back for the first time, word of mouth, chicken and beer, red light district, release therapy. Like that's from 2000 to 2006. Like he, he, he rarely took more than two years off at a time between albums. Like he was putting out high quality bodies of work in less than two years at a time. And I would, for my money, Ludacris is top five, top five all time uh, feature artists. Like if you call Ludacris for a feature, he is going to kill your song. Like he's going to get on there. Like you put on the, the major look remix that like that's a moment in time for me as someone from the south that listened to a lot of like new york rappers and new york records and spent a lot of time hearing like hey you know new york rappers are better like these southern rappers aren't rapping like us blah 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 and then you get nas and jadakiss on a song and then you throw Ludacris on there and he gets on that song and just completely owns it and makes like a statement like hey southern rappers specifically rappers from atlanta can get on a song with anybody from any coast, from any city, from any state, and out rap you guys. And I feel like that's one of those historic. Like uh, I remember me and me and I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but we were talking about like the most important verses, like the most important verses of all time. And I, I try I tried to go through and start making a playlist of like every verse historically that is important, and that's that's one of them. Like Ludacris on the Major Look remix is one of the most important rap verses of all time. I mean, I think may, people may feel a little way about Pusher because they, again, it's this thing with people where they they can't walk and chew gum at the same time, so they either think about something that is really far away or like very recent, and so a lot of people focus more on recent Pusher T, um, and so. They don't really think of like T.I. because T.I. hasn't had a, well, he did have the Libra, sorry, in 2020. Don't want to disrespect that album. <laughs> Maybe I'll go <laughs> back and listen to it. When you think about T.I. and Ludacris, who haven't had an album that have, has made waves in the way that Pusha T has recently, I think that puts a lot of people in their fifis. Uh, I think Pusha T, some people, mm, I think Pusha T kind of fell, early in his career at least, kind of fell into a sea of like, not really fitting in with a particular sound like he from virginia so technically like geographically that would make him a southern rapper but his style of rap is not that of a southern rapper 
but it doesn't really kind of fit East Coast, like Northeast Coast rap either. Um, so it's kind of hard to place Pusha T in a in a region the way that a lot of people do with their rap. Um, so I think early on, Pusha kind of got left out of a lot of those conversations. And now that we're seeing more of him and less of other guys, people are like, well, don't forget Pusha. But it's like, mm, let's be honest and say that while T.I. and Ludacris, not to say Pusha wasn't doing this thing, but while T.I. and Ludacris were dominating hip hop, especially in their region, you weren't hearing a ton of about Pusha T at that moment, unless you were a devoted Clips fan or somebody who had like followed him, his career from there. I, I know for me, like once, once uh, him and his brother stopped making music together, I will say it, it was hard for me to get on the, the Pusha T train as a solo artist. It took me a little minute to get back onto that. Um, just real quick, because I'm watching the uh, the championship game. Yeah, shout out the, to South Carolina. For the, yeah, for the women's uh, college basketball championship. Uh, Destiny Henderson, she's been cooking these girls like all game. Like she's incredible. Um, something that I saw on here, and I don't know if I, I haven't been able to watch with the sound on, obviously, because we're doing this, but they're, they're doing this thing with the graphics where they have like a little circle underneath the player almost like it's almost like 2k when it shows like they get to a spot and it either turns red or turns green and when they shoot a ball like the percentage goes off i guess showing like hey this is the what type of percentage shot this is mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if they've been because i've never seen this before i don't know if they've been doing this with uh they've ever done this before or if they've been doing this the entire tournament but they need to the nba needs to do that that's that's a great way to like keep people engaged and show like, hey, is this a player's good? Like, I don't know how they're able to do this or how they're determining if whatever or wherever they're shooting from is a good shot. But I like that. I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was that was that was cool. That was a that's a game. That's and I want I want uh, major sports companies like people are gonna watch the NBA playoffs. Why not try something new and throw that in there? Throw in, like. Why not? Like they're doing it in the in the women's college. Why not try it in the NBA? Like that, I thought that was very uh, an intriguing way and, and an interesting way to, to make the game more to make it so you have to uh, pay attention a little bit more. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But yeah, that's My that's interesting. Jesus Christ! Yeah, she's a baby. She like Alan Iverson out there. God damn. Coach Daly is like she's been running through the women's basketball for the last like five six years. Uh, so shout the, out to her on yet another championship. Talking about the South Carolina coach, yeah. See, I, I there, there's a there was a documentary on her on Netflix that I watched, and she, obviously she was a, a great college basketball player and a WNBA player, and apparently she she just could not win the big one for like the longest time mm-hmm. as a player. Like she couldn't, they they lost in the in the championship in college a few times. She never won an NBA title, and uh, I think she I think they might have lost in the Olympics too. But I think eventually she was able to get past that, and then she became a coach, and now she's pretty much uh, running college basketball. So it's good to see to see that. That's 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 awesome. I like that. My biggest guess on why they wouldn't do anything cool like that in the NBA is because you always hear those conversations about like, I'm tired of analytics ruining the basketball game. Charles Barkley. <laughs> and uh, a jump shooting team's never going to win the championship. Right. You know, nobody wants to have be tweeted at NBA. Why don't you stop letting numbers ruin the, ruin the game? Nobody wants to do that. I do think, though, I agree that like 
those type of like engagement drivers uh, while somebody is watching are, are fun. I hope they do something fun uh, with the NBA. But you know, the NBA at this point is a culture league and, and less of a, let's talk about the talent league and the product on the floor league. So. Okay, so we're gonna use that to smoothly transition to a different topic. Uh, I believe that the Brooklyn Nets are playing the game of basketball the wrong way, quote unquote, the wrong way. Because I've, I've been watching basketball for a long time. And I know how commentators are always talking about like, hey, the way the Spurs play basketball is just good basketball. They're moving the ball. They're moving without the ball. They're looking for the best shot. They're shooting threes, getting layups, doing all these things. And every time I would hear that, I would always think to myself, okay, if the Spurs are playing basketball the right way, who's playing basketball the wrong way? Like who is not? And they, 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 they would never say like this, this team does not play basketball the right way. Like this team or this player does not play right. And I'm looking, I've watched a few Nets games. I watched a few Nets games last year. And, I, and this, the first time I thought about it was last year in the playoffs when I was just like, I'm watching the Nets go up against the Bucks. And I'm just thinking to myself, Kevin Durant is not getting any easy shots out there. He's not moving without the ball. And when he doesn't have the ball, he's just standing in the corner. Like, not even in the corner, just standing away, like, near the half-court line, not doing anything. And it's – it's it, honestly, it's sad for sad to watch because that's why he left Oklahoma City. It's because – the coach wasn't calling good plays for him. They weren't moving. They didn't. They didn't have an offensive flow. It was just like, all right, Kevin Durant, it's your turn. Go out, go out there and get some buckets. All right, Russell Westbrook, it's your turn. Go out there and get some buckets. He leaves that. He goes to Golden State. Now he's in a system where people are moving without the ball. People are pushing the ball at the floor. People are passing the ball. People are looking for the best shots. KD is getting wide open shots and like just dominating the game. And he's winning championships. He's doing all those things. I'm just like. Why would you leave that to go play with a head coach with zero experience and play with two players at the time who are the total opposite of that? You're playing with guys who are just strictly ISO dominant ball handlers. And it doesn't make any sense. It's frustrating for me to watch this because even, even if the Nets somehow win a championship, it's going to be because Kyrie and Kevin Durant put up 35 to 40 points a game because Steve Nash is not helping these guys. You have two of the best players out there, and you cannot figure out how to get these guys open. You cannot figure out how to get Kevin Durant a wide-open look. You can't figure out how to get Kyrie Ir Irving open. It's just, hey, go out there and shake that guy. Hey, Kyrie, go out there and cook this dude. Hey, KD, go ahead and just get a bucket. It's, it, it's frustrating, and I just know that if Kevin Durant never leaves Golden State, Kevin Durant finishes all time. He finishes a top five player all time because they win at least another championship over there. Yeah, I mean, the the Nets don't really play like they trust each other to get a bucket. And honestly, if we're being like completely, completely honest, like Steve Nash is what people used to say about Steve Kerr, about Steve Kerr not being able to coach. Like Steve Nash is just there for a good time, not a long time. He's not coaching them boys. They're coaching themselves. He's just the guy with the head coach label and the, getting the head coach check. Um, but, yeah, the Nets don't really play like they trust each other. I've seen them in uh, plenty of situations to where, like, they absolutely could have pulled out a win, but then it just breaks down in terms of communication. Um, and a lot of guys are just playing, you know, one-on-five against an, a team that's playing together. So, I mean, I guess if the Spurs are playing the right way in a, in a, a system that values teamwork, that values, you know, as many passes as you can get to, to get a bucket, 
then the Nets and a couple other teams, but we're talking about the Nets right now. The Nets play in a way that it's all ISO ball, <laughs> um, and just like which guy's gonna be a hero tonight? So, and I'm not someone who's like anti ISO ball, like one on one. Like I grew up watching Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant. Like I get it. Like you can win, you can win games playing that style. You can be successful doing that. But I just I've seen what I've seen what Kevin Durant looks like when he's moving without the ball. When he's when they play him at the uh, the four position, when they get him open looks, like he he can go out there and get you a bucket one on one. Like he's one of the hardest players to guard of all time. But if you can get him more wide open shots, like he's a talent, he's a talent that is going to get wasted in Brooklyn because he decided to leave a better situation to go do something uh, on his own for you know personal reasons or whatnot. Which let me ask you this: Do you think that there's a situation to where Kevin Durant would actually ask to leave Brooklyn like in the next two years. No. There's no way. No. Like I think he he he's doing the thing that uh that LeBron is doing as far as like um everything that he does off the court, like his I guess his podcast network, the businesses that he is involved in, they're all stationed in, in Brooklyn. Like everything LeBron is involved in is stationed in Los Angeles. So there's as much as like LeBron should probably ask for ask out of LA, he's not going to leave just because that's where his business is. And Kevin Durant, all of his businesses are in Brooklyn. I I feel like he he'd be more inclined to to tell like to ask for Steve Nash to be fired or to uh, maybe you know I, I don't think he's going to ask for Kyrie to get traded or anything because they're like that's his boy or whatever. But I think I think he'd be more inclined to be like, hey, we got to get someone else in here. Like he. The thing is, Kevin Durant knows what it's like to be in a well-run, functioning organization. Like he's been there. He he spent years in Golden State, so he knows like what it is that you can do. Like as far as uh, the flow of the game, and that that was one of the reasons why James Harden wanted out. Which is kind of funny because it's like, I guess Kevin Durant came to him and he was like, "Hey, we need to play more like they play in." In Golden State, like we need, we need to move without the ball. We got to pass the ball, look for the best shot, uh, push the ball up the floor. You know, take the the wide open threes, stuff like that. Like, let's not just stand here, dribble, dribble, ISO, and then you know, like kick it out with two seconds left. And James Harden was like, uh, "That's not what I'm good at, or that's not what I do." Like, I've been in the NBA over ten years. I am a dribble, dribble, step back, hit the three. I'm not a uh, pass and move without the rock kind of player. So it's like. If you, you you know that about those two guys, you know what kind of player Kyrie and James Harden are. Why would you go play with them, expecting them to do what they did in Golden State when they've been in the league for like eight to ten years? That's not what they do. You're not going to change how they play. Like that's what Kevin Durant decided to do it, and I think he I think he made a mistake professionally, not personally professionally. I also don't think Kevin Durant really has a reason to leave Brooklyn. And I say that in the sense that, like, he's pretty much done everything that a basketball player can do at this point. Like, anything else is just a bonus to his career, another MVP, another championship, another scoring title. Like, these are things that he's already accomplished. Anything else is just, like, a cherry on top. So I don't know if Kevin Durant is searching for more glory. I I think he is starting to come to terms with, like, the criticisms and like the naysayers that he doesn't feel the need to respond or like go hard, go as hard anymore. Um, so I think Kevin Durant is in a space 
And obviously, I don't know this nigga, so please do not take my word for his law. <laughs> I don't know what this nigga be thinking about. But he seems to be in a space where he doesn't mind um, just kind of playing as competitive. Like, he play, you know, sort of competitively enough to maybe be okay. Um, and then, you know, if they, you know, the further they go, then great. But if they don't make it to the playoffs or if they make an early playoff exit, then he just gets to go, you know, podcast and do whatever else Kevin Durant does on an off day. So, Yeah, I just – you want to see Blake uh, – you want to see great players be great and be put in the best situation that they can be. And I, I just don't think he uh, put himself in the best situation. And I, I think if – I think right now they're, they're slated for a playing game. Like they're going to be in the playing tournament regardless. And – I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are good enough as individuals to carry them for one game to get a win and get locked in into the playoffs. But when it comes to playing uh, a seven game series against teams like the Heat or the Bucks, um, the Celtics, that's going to be hard because those teams are going to make adjustments. The, the, the Nets only run about two, two plays. They don't have anybody else that's going to beat you. And it's that I just I would be very surprised if the Nets make it to the second round of the playoffs. That's why I was telling people who were like, "Oh man, the, the Nets got Ben Simmons." Okay, and then what? Like, <laughs> what was next for them? Nothing. So we did all of that. Oh, they've acquired Seth Curry. Oh, Ben Simmons on the team. Oh, they finally got rid of James Harden, who was the cancer on the team. Okay, now what? I don't think they would have been in much different of a predicament at this point in the season. <laughs> the same issues that they had that they had before uh, James Harden left, I think they're still there. Because even with James Harden, I felt the same way. Like they're just not running any plays. They're not trying to get each other any good looks, any open looks. They're just making they're they're playing basketball a lot harder than it has to be, and it's going to be it's going to be a struggle for them to get to win a playoff series, much less for playoff series to win a championship. And if they if they win a championship this year, it should count as two championships because good God, good God. And that's where good coaching comes into play. Like a good coach, a, a, a proven coach, a leader who can really corral some the guys in the locker room can make those adjustments and, and point out those like, hey, y'all not playing like y'all trust each other to make a play. Let's fix that. But unfortunately, Steve Nash isn't that coach. Um, I, I really – wish that Steve Nash, somebody would have taken Steve Nash as an assistant coach, a shooting coach, or some other sort of coach um, on their staff, and then he got the move to head coach. I don't know if head coach... <laughs> he's doing the Jason Kidd, where Jason Kidd just kind of sucked for like three years straight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah a, a, a more a veteran coach would have been... like I don't know if the Nets still have these issues if, if Coach Popovich is coaching them. Like, well, I don't know if they still have these issues with some other coach. I won't say Doc it, Rivers. Doc Rivers sucks. It's annoying because Steve Nash is like, as a player, he was pretty much the leader in the style of basketball that's being played today. Like the way the Warriors play, that's based off of what the Suns did when Steve Nash was there. Like moving without the moving without the ball, shooting threes, moving the ball around, doing all that stuff. Like he was the leader of that. And for him to get to Brooklyn and to be like, all right, ISO guys. Clear out, you know, clear out for KD, clear out for Kyrie. That's all we're going to do is that's frustrating. That's frustrating. That's, Very frustrating. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's Steve Nash's call or just a, a reaction if, 
a, a reaction to Steve Nash doing nothing, like to Steve Nash having no direction. And so that's what the players have come up with, of just like, you know, let this one guy go to work at a time. I really think it's a reaction to like Steve Nash not having any other plan. So they get on the court and kind of wing it. And it looks ridiculous because they lost to the Hogs. Like, no disrespect to the Hogs. I know niggas love the Hogs. Niggas love Trey Young. I think he's great. Hurrah, hurrah. But there's no reason they shouldn't have beat the Hogs. Yeah, the Hawks are not good too. I'll be honest with you guys. This is this whole experiment is just about as disappointing as when Boston traded away um, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and that was it, right? To the Nets. Yeah, it was just Jason was Allen, just- Jason Terry. I'm sorry. And it was like you expect, okay, the newest super team they had Joe Johnson and everything else, and it was like, wow, this team is is just. Not good at all. But that's how yeah, I feel about the Nets. Three of them niggas was 48. <laughs> and these guys are in their prime, but it's just like you could see this stylistically it would not work, and it just doesn't. Like it's just an older team that's put together. Um they have well had three of the best individual like scores of all time. That's not going to work together as a team. Um, they've made some solid pickups, and I do feel like last year could have been a year where they could have won if it weren't for injuries. Yeah. But this year it looks even worse. It's it's disjointed, discombobulated. Just get it off the screen. I don't want to see it. That's how I feel about the Lakers. I don't know why the Lakers still have national championship. I'm mean, not national championship games. I'm still watching the national championship trophy presentation. Uh, why they stop nationally televised games? I'm tired of looking at the Lakers suck. I'm sorry. A, <laughs> I'm sorry. A, looking to be bad. <laughs> I have a theory about that. The reason why they continue to put the Lakers on primetime TV is because they're not going to get that LeBron bump in the playoffs. Like they're not making the playoffs, so it's like, hey. People watch LeBron in a regular season. This is the last time they're going to see him this year. Let's put him on TV as much as we can because come playoff time, he's out of here. No more Laker games. So they're trying to get as much of a, much out of LeBron as they can uh, right now in the regular season, which uh, is, is all they have. And They got like a week left. Yeah, I wonder if they've been eliminated yet. I'm surprised they haven't been eliminated yet. I think they're still um, – They're only like a game – they're like a game behind 10th to be in the – Play yeah. so they're they're still close. Two games behind uh, San Antonio. San Antonio has thirty three wins, and the Lakers have thirty one wins. So it's it's, it's gonna. Uh, I'm gonna just go ahead and say they're not gonna make it because LeBron didn't play last uh, last night against the Nuggets, and they lost that. And I game. wouldn't be surprised if he like slowly started shutting himself down. <laughs> Why not? Well, and, okay, let's let's transition to the next topic. Is is are these Lakers seasons are they hurting LeBron's legacy? This is a very first take question. Is LeBron's legacy being hurt by missing the playoffs at age 38? Debate. I'm about to, like, I'm about to do a really um, terrible Stephen A. Smith impersonations, but I'll spare you all. <laughs> uh, I was going to say it's probably going to be racist, too. It was going to be awful. <laughs> I mean, the worst. Um, is it hurting LeBron's legacy? I don't know, man. He, like you said, he's 38 years old. This man has seen it all, done it all, like. Did it hurt Michael Jordan's legacy to play with the, the Wizards all the time and be awful? Like, I don't know. 
I don't think it does. I don't know if anybody after LeBron's done goes back and be like, those last couple Laker seasons, though, they really sucked. Like, who cares? Yeah. I I lean towards no. I think in the moment, it, it it's – I don't want to say it's a bad look, but it's kind of the thing where it's like, this is the team that you built, LeBron. Like, you built this team. You put this now, team together. It does hurt GM LeBron's legacy, absolutely. LeBron oh. has not put together a good team yet. G- GM LeBron is killing LeBron's legacy. Like, <laughs> once once LeBron left Miami, he made things way tougher for him than he had to. Like, if he stayed in Miami, Pat Riley is able to build a team around him that's more sustainable. Like, even say what you want about that Cleveland roster. Like, that, that Cleveland roster was pretty good. Um, so, I, I guess GM LeBron did okay there. But, I mean, GM LeBron in L.A. has been dog shit. Like, was, he was terrible in Cleveland, too, as GM LeBron. Like, he just – I don't know what he like. What he does, the teams, it doesn't make sense. Like they'll have young assets. He could wait a year or two to get what he needs anyway. He'll just say, "Fuck it, let's just get rid of every young asset we have. Get an older, the same style of older player, just about. Let's get an older player to play power forward, and this is how we're gonna do it. But he's gonna sit in the corner and hit the shots, like." rendering him ineffective like he, he's done that multiple times in a row and he just refuses to not understand that that does not work for his style LeBron the best style for him would be a team like how maybe Portland was constructed earlier in the year before they made the trades it, it needs to be a team golden state like allow him to kick to dominate inside, kick out if he has to, get his assists, play his defense, and you hit wide open guys for wide open shots. Like that is the perfect system for LeBron. LeBron doesn't like balance. LeBron will front load or like really load up on one position and then like be completely barren in another position. He doesn't he doesn't seem to recognize where he needs balance. So he'll have seven point guards or seven guards and then it'll be like one backup power forward who isn't that great and then you know anthony davis and his ankles or something like that i know we've 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 talked about it maybe on the timeline or maybe on the podcast before as far as as far as should they have done that trade as far as like trading josh hart uh brandon ingram uh getting rid of lonzo ball getting rid of d'angelo russell all those players um basically to get Anthony Davis. And I feel like at the end of the day, knowing what they knew at that time, knowing what we knew at that time, that was the right trade to make. Like Anthony Davis at that time was a top 10 player and was on track to being like a top five player in the league, like skill wise, uh, the way he could play on offense and defense. Like he, he was dominant on offense inside and outside. He was dominant on defense can switch on, uh smalls and bigs all that stuff rebound move the ball like he was on track to be like what joel and beat is right now and Brand, say what you want brandon ingram in new orleans is just a guy julius randall is in new york he's just a guy d'angelo russell in minnesota just a guy josh hart just got shipped mm-hmm. off the- i mean they're good pieces if you have a championship team for them they'd be great pieces they'd be i mean they're like role players essentially like they're not like they like you 
Julius Randle has made an all-star game, but like he's not an all-star all-star. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not like a guy where you're like, hey, if we build around Julius Randle, we can make a championship run. Like they're none of those guys are that guy. At and, and this is me saying at that time. At that time when that trade was made, if you're like, hey, who do we trust to build a championship run? Who do we trust to build a championship roster on and to be that second guy next to LeBron? Anthony Davis or Brandon Ingram, Alonzo Ball, and Josh Hart? Like, it, it was Anthony Davis at the time. It was That was the right answer. Right now, it has shown that, like, hey, Anthony Davis either can't stay healthy, he doesn't want to play the uh, center position, he wants to be a two-guard, and – it's just not working out right now. And it, it, at the, at I think this, the, the real way that you can make the that you can make the decision on whether it worked out or not is the championship. Um, yeah, the, you can't take it away from it was in the bubble. This is that. It doesn't matter if they didn't win that championship. It'd be easy. No, it wasn't worth it at all. But because they did get the championship out of the deal, um, it was worth it. I know I had asked somebody in private a while ago about the way LeBron left. Um, Miami or even Cleveland, that this was the Miami fan I was speaking to. I was like, you know, no matter what they didn't do or the assets they gave or the draft picks, the way they moved, you still got two championships. There's a lot of teams in the league that don't, that they can't even say that. You got two championships out the deal. Um, even with Cleveland, like, yeah, he decimated that team again but you still got a championship out of it. You know, so at the end of the day, even with the Lakers, yeah, when it's all said and done, they are going to be a lottery team because I feel like Anthony Davis is probably just going to break down, unfortunately, like a lot of bigs do that are talented, um, like a Chris Webber. Um, you know, it's, it's been a lot of guys over the Carlos Boozer at one point was a really good power forward. Um, and it's like they hit that brick wall and they're done. And when that happens, you're going to have an older LeBron, a year older, two years older LeBron. I don't know if they carry Russell Westbrook in the next year. But whatever they do, like all these players are so old with no assets. This team probably won't even win 15 games in a year once it's all said and done. But they'll still have that one championship, and that's what what it means. That's what it's all about. I think Lakers fans need to kind of like – chill out on some of the oh we should have never asked for LeBron to be here we should have never signed LeBron we gave him too much power all this stuff go look at what uh the Lakers were doing since like 2013 like the Lakers were struggling to win 40 games a season they were in a relevant they were what the Knicks are right now they were they were worse than what the Knicks are because the Knicks were at least able to get to the playoffs the Lakers were ass for a very long time. And they were only they were only relevant because, you know, it was Kobe Bryant's last few years. And Kobe Bryant would come to a few of the games here and there. But outside, like on the basketball court, the Lakers were trash, ass, and irrelevant. And LeBron came through and saved you guys, essentially. Like, he made you guys matter. And when it comes to uh, LeBron's legacy, I was thinking about it. Um, like, I, I don't know if... I don't know if Rev is I'm, – well, I know Rev is not old enough, but I remember when LeBron – You know what I am. You're, you're a young person. You're a younger person. <laughs> but I was – I was, and, and Tech could probably answer this more or have more to say to it, but I was like 
17 or 16, 17, when LeBron James went to the NBA and the hype surrounding LeBron James at that time was insane. Like it, I've never seen anything like it. And I haven't seen anything like it since like every, I feel like every two years, someone is like, Oh, well, Ben Simmons is the next LeBron or Zion Williamson is the next LeBron, like whatever, like everybody's the next LeBron. It, it's never, the hype isn't ever there. And I think back to that time and I'm just like, this is one of the most hyped athletes of all time. Like his, the, the standard for him is higher than I've seen for that. It's higher for any athlete that I could remember. And I try to think like back then, what did I think would be uh, him, I guess, um, reaching that standard? Like if you told me, if you came up to Marcus at 16 and you're like, hey, LeBron James, this high school kid that just got drafted to Cleveland, he's going to be like the number two uh, scoring player of all time. He's going to finish in the top 10 in assist. He's going to win what? How many MVPs does he have? Four MVPs. Four, yeah. He's going to win four championships in three different cities. Is that good enough? And I would say like, yeah, he, he exceeded his expectations by a lot. Like winning, there's not a lot of players that win more than like three championships that didn't play with another Hall of Famer. Like you're not going to find a lot of those. And for people to think that LeBron's legacy is being hurt by this, are kind of ignoring what he's done throughout his entire career. Like the hype surrounding him and for him to come into the NBA and do the things that he has done at a high level and pretty much be the best player in the NBA since he was like 22. Like that's tough to be that elite for that long. Like even, even right now he's, he might win the scoring title at 37 years old. He might be, he might lead the league in scoring. Like, that's pretty incredible. And that's, it's, we look at the Lakers and it's like, it's not him that's the problem right now. <laughs> like, we're not looking at LeBron and being like, hey, LeBron, you need to do more. Like, he's doing enough. <laughs> he's doing what he can do. But I don't think there's anything that he can do to really affect his legacy. Like, not, and not anything that actually really matters, like, in the long term. Like, on Twitter on a random Wednesday night, people are going to flame him up if they lose. But, you know, five years after he retires, like no one's going to look back at, you know, some of these bad years and be like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe he wasn't. Maybe he's not the second best player of all time because that's that's where he's at right now. We don't compare. We don't we don't compare LeBron to Shaq, to Larry Bird, to Magic Johnson, to Kobe Bryant, to Tim Duncan, to anybody. We only compare him to one person. And that's a testament to what LeBron has done throughout his career. That is well said. I mean, you're right. They don't hold like he's on his own level with the way that he's judged. Like it's just him and 23. That's it. Um, yeah. If you if you gave me a time machine, I can go back and tell myself at a young age that that guy. LeBron James, whose games would come on ESPN and who had rappers, other Hall of Fame athletes going to high school gymnasiums to see him play, if he would win the way that you said, four championships, three cities, uh, multiple MVPs, multiple finals MVPs, uh, 
just everything that he's done in this historic career, like, yeah, he met the hype. And the only person I can really recall that had even an inkling of hype like that um, would have probably been Zion, to be honest with you. Or, I mean, um, <laughs> Wiggins had a lot, too. I, I remember Wiggins. I mean, it was over in Canada, but I remember Wiggins had a ton of hype, and he was touted as the next LeBron. But off the top, I remember Zion, especially being near that area, um, viral videos everywhere. He was all over the news locally. Um, I remember that run at Duke. But then it's like when you look at him as a player, I don't think he has a chance in hell to get anywhere near close to what these guys are doing. He just doesn't have it. And and it's going to be unfortunate because the day will come where we got to close that curtain on, on this wonderful career. And I think the NBA is in good hands. But it's like, wow, you know, in three to five years, it's really going to be a whole new generation, like a whole new generation. You have your John Morant's and your Lamelo Balls and uh, Luca. Yeah, you'll have your Lucas. Uh, Jason Tatum is starting to step into his own really well. Even though I don't know, Jason Tatum's probably considered more of a vet at this point. I think Jason Tatum's in his what fifth, maybe sixth year in the Jason league. Jason Tatum's like twenty-three. He's super yeah. young. So, yeah, you'll have those guys. Um, But I do agree. It'll look completely different. We won't have the guys that we um, have been accustomed to seeing for so long. Like, there's going to be a point where even Kevin Durant is, like, starting to think about getting out of here, which, honestly, I think maybe sooner rather than later, personally. But, uh, yeah, like Steph and and Kevin and uh, hopefully Dame sometime soon, we'll be starting to think think about getting out of the league. I'm tired of Dame. I'm tired of Dame. I just, I want, I'd love for Dame Dash to, uh, I think a lot of guys think about loyalty and like this odd concept of being loyal to your employer. Uh, (laughs) And it's okay if you want to go be better. Uh, So hopefully Dame wants to go be better one day. And he has, I'm not giving giving you credit for staying with a bad team. I'm not going to give you credit for that. You don't don't gain, all you're doing is wasting your time because this, this franchise has shown that they're ready to start over. And you can't use loyalty as your reasoning to stay when they traded CJ McCollum. Like they got rid of your second best player that you've been with the entire time. They got rid of him. They got rid of that guy and brought in a nobody. Well, not nobody, but they brought in, you know, Josh Hart. So they're not loyal to to CJ McCollum. Why are you loyal to them? Your money, your money's not going anywhere. If Dame decides, like, hey, if he go, if he, if Dame Lillard goes up to that front office and he's like, yo, man. I can't keep doing this. We, I tried. I got, you know, I got us to the Western Conference Finals. I've, you know, dragged us to the playoffs multiple years in a row. I, I, I It's time for me to go. I'd like to go to, um, I don't know, Boston. I'd like to go to Miami. I'd like to go to the Clippers, anywhere. I don't feel like Blazers fans are looking at Dame like, oh, you quit on us. You know what I'm saying? Like, they'll be they'll be hurt. They'll be upset that he's leaving. But they're not going to look at Dame and say, you didn't do enough. You didn't try hard enough. They'll be like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Even he, if our, they our time did, is up. Even if they were like, bro, you did not give us the best that you could. Neither did this organization. So, like, no, we're didn't. in the same boat. So, I'm going to go, and I'm going to give myself the best chance. If winning is always the goal, if you are in this league to win, if, 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 if nobody's in this league to be like, ah, 
I might just be a 10 and 12 guy. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. A lot of guys go into this league hoping to hoist the championship trophy one day. And if that is the goal, Portland is not your best bet to do that. And it would behoove you to start looking elsewhere, wherever there's an availability. I wonder if he has it. I was going to say, I wonder if he has like a no trade clause, because maybe that's the what's holding them up. Because I feel like if Portland could trade him, they would have. They would have already. Um, and the thing is, especially with history, history has a hard time with remembering uh, players that didn't win a championship that weren't great, like all time great players. Like we remember uh, Charles Barkley. We remember Patrick Ewing. We remember Allen Iverson. But like Damian Lillard. Like, yeah, he made it into the top 75 all-time list, which he I don't think he should have. But uh, are we going to – is he going to be remembered as an all-time great if he doesn't get one championship? And it's it sucks because that's like – that's the NBA that's the NBA Twitter conversation where it's like, okay, but how many rings did you get? You know, like I'm not saying Dame Leonard's not a great player, but we don't we don't tend to remember just great players that don't win rings. Like we, we remember – the MVP players. We remember the players that led their teams to the finals that were a championship contender every year. Dame Lillard hasn't been that. And he is hurting, he is hurting his quote unquote legacy by staying loyal to the Portland Trailblazers. And he's he's doing himself a disservice. But if he's one of those guys that's like, hey, I like it here, I make good money, I like the city, then whatever. So be it. That's your decision. I can't fault you for that. But like let me ask you this. Do you remember Mitch Richmond? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Rev, you remember Mitch Richmond? I don't. He he was at one point he was a really really good player, like maybe a tick below Michael Jordan. He was at next level. Um, Latrell Sprewell, do you guys remember him? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Great player. He 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 did average like twenty four to twenty six a game at one point on a team that went to the championship. Is he a great player? Not an all time great player. That's what I'm thinking. Dame's going to end up at. I, you were you, you remember the guys who innovated in their position, like who were just unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, and I don't think Dame is that. And I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm just saying that you know he's a guard. And he's a good guard. He's a really good guard, but he isn't anything different. He hasn't contributed anything new or innovative to the position. He's just really good at the position he plays. So I think if you're good, you should look for opportunities to go be good and to succeed. Um, and I don't know if Portland is that opportunity for him. I hope he finds an opportunity or, you know, is content with doing whatever he's doing in Portland. Uh, but you don't get to have both. <laughs> You can't. I, I just don't feel like he can go out, go around telling people like, "Oh, I'm not going to run away from the grind." Like, what? What? Like, what does that even mean? Like, running away from the grind? No one's. There's no point in staying loyal to a franchise that is not trying to win as much as you are. Like, Dame is doing his job better than that front office is, and he's been doing a better job, and they're wasting his time. So there's no reason for him to feel any kind of way. If he decides to leave, he's not running away from the grind. He's going to a better opportunity. Like if you work somewhere that is not doing the best for you and your family, why stay there? It doesn't make sense. I'm not giving you like I'm not going to nobody gives uh, Charles Barkley any credit for not joining a super team 
or joining a super team too late or not joining up with a superstar in his prime. No one gives credit to Patrick Ewing for doing that. No one gives Steve Nash credit for that. No one like we we I love Allen Iverson. Like he's my probably favorite player of all time, but no one's like, you know, we're not giving him well, it's different for Allen Iverson because he he won MVP and he led um the Sixers to the finals. So I guess it's a little different for him. But you know what I'm saying? Like there are certain players that we look at all time where we're just like, yeah. You didn't win a championship. You're you're not in that conversation. Like Dominique Wilkins, we're not. He's not in those conversations. You can't be. And it's and it goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier. We're talking about can you put someone in your top ten who doesn't have a classic? I'm not. Can I? I can't. You can't justify putting Dame Willard in the top seventy five and leave a player like Dwight Howard out of it because Dwight Howard say what you like. You you might not like him personally or. Uh, like him as a man, but when he was on your team in his prime in Orlando, he was a championship caliber player. Like he's leading you to the Eastern Conference Finals at the like at the very least. He's leading you to the NBA Finals. He's taking you. Uh, he's an MVP caliber player. You know he's um one of the more dominant players. Like there was a debate between is he or LeBron James the best player in the NBA. Like he was in that conversation. And for them to put Dame Lillard in the top 75 and not him is, is ridiculous. It's pretty uh, it's kind of bogus. Like, I don't, I still don't understand. I feel like that was more of a personal attack on Dwight Howard. But either way, um, I kind of wanted to get uh, Rev's take on the whole Deshaun Watson thing as far as from a, from a, a woman's perspective. And I kind of... I kind of get annoyed when I hear people uh, on TV talk about like, oh, well, you know, you're going to upset your your female fan base as if like men kind of, I guess, don't care about sexual assault. I guess maybe as a whole, we don't. But it's just like, you know, there's some guys out there that care about that. Like they care if, if their favorite player is out here, you know, thrusting their dick at a massage therapist. Like you care about that. I don't want that. You know what I'm saying? But either way. Kind of like to get your uh, your your thoughts on that whole situation and what the NFL is doing in regards to that. Um, you know, I think there are people and there are people that I've seen on my timeline who don't seem to care that like twenty two women accused him of sexual assault. They just see like, oh well, he wasn't convicted in the criminal trial. It's like I mean, a lot of niggas was <laughs> that doesn't mean they less guilty. Um, I mean. The NFL and sports in general, any in sports entertainment in general, have shown that that as long as uh, as long as they can get away with it, they will continue to prop up uh, men who are harmful in their everyday lives. Um, we can Ezra Miller is still getting propped up. Jared Leto just presented an award tonight. That man's known for all types of heinous crimes, so it doesn't surprise me that the lack of criminal uh, trial for Deshaun Watson was just enough for NFL uh, owners and GMs and coaches to be like, yeah, bring them on down. We're fine with, you know, screwing up our current roster and losing our, you know, franchise quarterback for a guy who has 22 sexual assault allegations. He didn't go to trial for it, though. Um, It's unfortunate that, like, women time and time again have to learn that they are not important enough um, to their pains and, like, their just well-being isn't important enough to 
be away from a guy. Like, it, it sucks to know that, like, yeah, a dude could sexually assault you, but, like, as long as he's good at rapping or throwing a football or any other arbitrary task, we don't really care. Um, and that's unfortunate. But it, it's, it's a hard truth that we continue to have to learn. It doesn't surprise me that teams were willing to still, you know, spend time with him and and and, and vie for his attention, even though he's threat he's facing a potential six game suspension. Thirteen teams. Yeah, Thirteen teams. Thirteen teams and my team included made a call about Deshaun Watson. It doesn't surprise me that he was paid that much money to face a six game suspension. And but the Browns were like, this is our guy. Like it 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 it, it doesn't surprise me anymore that corporations um are willing to take a chance on a guy who has been accused of harming women, women and children. Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's unfortunate, but it's a fact of life at this point. But I say all that to say, uh, I don't wish good things for Deshaun Watson. Uh, so I want to put that on public record. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I kind of, do you think the NFL should be, I guess, involved in, in these types of matters as far as like if a player is being this type of ridiculous like acting this type of way off the field should that be something where the nfl should feel the need to step in at because i feel like especially with roger goodell where he's just like hey it doesn't matter what the criminal justice system says we're going to do our own investigation we're going to um punish them by our standards. We have a higher standard than the criminal justice system. I just, I, I wonder if they should even be involved in things like that, just because a lot of the the the, the uh, victims or accuser of Deshaun Watson that were interviewed by the NFL, they felt like they were being victim blamed in that situation. Like they felt like the NFL was asking questions in a way to, paint them a certain way to make them to paint them like they were uh not being truthful or very forthcoming so it's just like i just don't i i me personally i don't trust the nfl to be able to handle these types of things so in my mind i'm i'm of the belief that the nfl shouldn't really shouldn't step in and step in when these matters happen like i feel like we shouldn't look to the nfl to be like hey, well, you need to punish this person. You need to set a standard. You need to do whatever. We need to look at the criminal justice system to do the right thing. Though that is the pe Those are the people we should be looking at as far as like, hey, why hasn't anything been done here? Why hasn't, why is this still going on? And if, if the player is in jail, like Henry Ruggs can't play because he's in jail. Like that, that makes sense to me. I, I, I don't want the NFL telling me what's right and what's wrong. Like just go out there and play the game. And and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not sure if that's right or wrong, but that that's kind of how I feel about the situation. Well, I think the NFL jumps in those conversations for precisely that. They jump in for the optics to be like, well, you know, we still have a moral compass over here. It's like Roger Goodell. No, you don't. I'm sorry. You're not going to convince me that you have a moral co a moral uh, compass in a league that suspended a dude for kneeling for people's rights and <laughs> kneeling in protest. Like, the NFL likes the optics of being like, we punish the guys who have infractions off the field. Um, but I don't think they really mean it. They just want to look like, it's kind of like how your parents, like if you get in trouble at school 
and your parents have to come up there and like pretend like you're gonna get in trouble, but when you get home, like you good. Um, it's one of those situations to just seem like they are on track and uh, have some sort of disciplinary action for players, but they really don't. They just do it for the optics, for for the way it looks. They don't care either way because they, they almost are. always get it wrong. They're they're almost always on the wrong side of things. They always get it wrong. Like the the one like glaring one is uh the ray rice one where ray rice was on camera doing the things that he did and they like roger goodell came through and over punished him and then the nfl like they made the they made ray rice and his wife at the time or his girlfriend at the time have a press conference like apologizing in public for their actions and uh the nfl like suspended i think they suspended him for the entire season and then he appealed it and it got reduced to like two games. Like he never played again, but he got paid for that season. Like he got all of his money back. And it's just like, what what are we doing? And then, but Tom Brady gets suspended six games for deflating balls. And it's just like, what, what are we doing? Like uh, Adrian, I think Adrian Peterson got suspended, but never was charged with a crime. Zeke Elliott, the same thing. He never was charged with a crime, but was suspended for six games. That got reduced also. Like, the NFL, every time they try to suspend somebody for a crime, it gets appealed and it gets reduced. And it's just like, you guys are clearly showing that you guys are not qualified to handle these types of things. And like like the Browns, obviously, they haven't talked to anybody. They haven't talked to any of the victims, any of the accusers. They haven't, they didn't do whatever research about Deshaun Watson that they said they were going to do. They just did enough to just... Uh, yeah, we we did a thorough investigation, and you know, Deshaun Watson, he's a good guy, and we trust him. Whatever, whatever. I just, I don't buy it. So, I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I just don't know if the NFL should be out here uh, being involved in in those types of things. I think it should just. It should. We we should put more pressure on the criminal justice system to to do the right thing and hold people that break the law accountable as opposed to Roger Goodell who can't get the NFL owners to do anything to, to try to hold Tom Brady accountable for deflating footballs. Like I don't can't. this guy isn't the authority on anything to me. Well I just don't I just don't trust him to, to to be able to do the right thing. So um as much as I would like to do a three hour podcast, I don't think we're we're gonna be able to do that. But I think the last thing we're gonna talk about is um Vince Staples and I kind of want to get it on on record early before um his album comes out next weekend um I think Vince Staples is going to put himself in that conversation and and by that conversation I mean that uh when they talk about you know the the top rappers whether it be you know Drake, Cole, Kendrick, uh Griselda uh, Benny Conway, those types of people. I think when Ramona Park broke my heart comes out, and and hopefully a, a lot more people give it a listen. I, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to put himself in that conversation as far as like uh, the J. Coles and the Drakes and the Kendricks. I think he's going to do that with this project, and I, I'm doing that based off of just two songs and what he's done throughout his career. Like I think his. Um, the his self-titled album was great i thought uh big fish theory was great i think summertime 06 you could put that up against anybody's um put that against 
any of the great rappers that are out right now. You can put that album up against anything that they've done, and you're gonna have a hard time knocking that song, that album out. The FM, I enjoyed that. Like he, Vince works very well in those like really small, short EPs that kind of get you straight to the point, get you in and out. But even like um, Summertime 06 is a longer album. And that's a great uh, project. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does uh, this weekend. Um, I know Rev is uh, somewhat of a of a fan, not really that big of a fan of Vince Staples. So um, how, how, are you, how are you feeling about his, his latest single? And uh, what are you looking forward to for this next uh, wave of Vince Staples music? I just want to go on record and say, I don't even know who this Vince Staples nigga is. No, I'm just that's joking. Fair. Um, <laughs> I think I'm just gonna clip that part and put it on on Instagram real quick. So I'm gonna do that. <laughs> no clue who that man is. Um, I told you in the I'll say maybe I should break this up into segments. Why people don't really give Vince Staples like credit, quote unquote. I think it kind of falls into a. I don't think Vince looks for that credit. I think Vince just wants to make music. Um because it is his job at the moment. I won't even say it's because he just particularly loves music and he's a guy who's always wanted to be a rapper and win awards and have top records. Like, I think Vince found a job that was relatively easy for him, that kept him out of trouble, that put money in his pocket, that allowed him to take care of his family. And this is the job he's doing right now. So I don't think he particularly goes and seeks that credit. Um, and I also think, I told you this uh, earlier in the week, or last week, rather, um, that a lot of people know Vince Staples for the clips and the sound bites, like the Ray J clip from um, uh, when he was talking to Peter Rosenberg, or you'll hear him um, be in these like random like GQ interviews. Like you'll hear you hear the the funny Vince, um, and I don't think people have taken the time to dig deep into Vince Staples' discography. And to that, I say you should take the time to dig deep into Vince Staples' discography. Because um, he's probably one of the only rappers left that is making like truly honest music um, from a point of view that is unique to them. Um, he talks about his home a lot. He talks about uh, instances or like situations that he's actually been in. Um, he talks about the people around him, the people that have made him, you know, the event staples that we get to see in public. Um, and, and, you know, maybe a little bit of the Vince Staples that, you know, even less people get to see in private. Um, and I think he just has really honest music and really fun experimental music. Another artist that, like, from the jump never stayed in one box. Summertime 06 don't sound like Big Fish Theory. Big Fish Theory don't sound like FM. FM don't sound like uh, the Vince Staples album. And I'm assuming that Vince Staples won't sound much like Ramona Park Broke My Heart. Um so I implore you to go listen. Um, and I do think that Ramona Park Broke My Heart will put him up there with like in a in a crop of his own or just very few people of like newer rappers um, who are slowly making it up that ladder. So shout out to Vince Staples. Very excited for Ramona Park Broke My Heart. I think it comes out Friday, um, only 8th. So excited to listen. Um, excited to listen multiple times. Um, and I think more than I'm excited to listen to Ramona Park Bro Broke My Heart, he said before that, like, this is probably one of the last albums that he'll do um, that, like, explicitly tackles this type of subject matter. So I'm excited for what comes after Ramona Park Broke My Heart. Like, what new events um, are we going to get from here? Like, now that he has kind of told this part of his story in a couple different albums, I wonder what the next one will sound like. 
Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, his catalog. He's been very active. Um, like Hell Can Wait came out in 2014. Summertime 06 came out to 2015. Prima Donna 2016. Big Fisher 2017. 2018 FM, and then he took you know, 2019, 2020 off. And last year, Vince Staples comes out, and now this year we're getting another album. So it's like Vince Staples has been working consistently, and he's been another one of those uh, artists who gets on features. And he he was on the Black Panther soundtrack. He was on the the Dreamville compilation, I think the second one. Um, he's been on songs with uh, the guys from Griselda. Um, he's done a lot of features. He's done a lot of songs for people. He he was on uh, an episode of Insecure. He's He's been working. He's been very, very active. Like I didn't, I didn't realize it until now to see how consistent he has been. Because rappers aren't putting out music that quickly. Like obviously his albums are a little bit shorter, but to put out an album that that fast and in that uh, short amount of time is is pretty impressive. Um, I'm definitely a, a big fan of uh, Vince Staples and what he's doing. Um, and and I. It's it's one of those things where I just I I think maybe I want it more than he does. Like I want him to be in that discussion with the Drakes and the Coles and the Kendricks and the Nickies and the Big Shans or whoever. Like I want him to be in that conversation. I feel like Vince Staples does not want to be in that conversation. Like he just wants to make his music and just chill. Like he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be everywhere. You know what I'm saying? He wants to do the things that's gonna make him a lot of money without doing as much work like he he's done interviews all the time where he talks about making songs specifically for like commercials and like video games and stuff like that that he can just make money off of but not have to do anything for do anything with so i i think i'm going to i'm 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 going to listen to this album and then i'm going to push my narrative and it's going to be annoying and people are going to get mad at me and i'm probably going to get blocked by some people especially j cole fans because i have a feeling I got a feeling about I got a feeling about this album. I think it's going to be an incredible album, and uh, a lot of uh, J Cole and Drake fans are going to be upset about some of the tweets. I like I already got them in the drafts. I'm just waiting to fire these things off, and I can't wait to to do it because I think he deserves. I think he deserves to be in those conversations. And like, th- hang on a second. I gotta let me. I gotta um, let me see if I can find this verse that he. Uh, he had on his on his last album that kind of took me a minute to that I that I didn't get when I heard it, but like I I needed uh I guess someone to kind of point it out and I and I thought I got it I thought I caught every you know metaphor or whatever in in the verse or whatever but there was there's a there's a bar on the song from uh, his last album called law of averages oh yeah and I'm, i'll start with um let's see only lover if you ratchet if that acid got a squabble now he cashes clay but i'm hurricane carter you know i'm gonna catch a case but Lil wayne carter what i call my 38 kiss your baby in the face if you play with where i stay so he's talking about hurricane carter Lil wayne carter is what i call my 38 right so i'm like okay Lil Wayne, Hurricane Carter, whatever, 38. I think at the time when he rapped this, Lil Wayne is 38. I think he's 38 mm-hmm. right now. So I'm like, okay, wow, that's 
that's that's deep. That's cool. That's a nice little bar right there. And then I, I watched another video kind of that went a little bit deeper in it. And Lil Wayne Carter, what I call my 38, kiss your baby in the face if you play with where I stay. And they put up a video. <laughs> they put up a video what? baby kissing Lil Wayne. And I was like, oh my God. Like out of the I completely for like how did I didn't catch that, but it's just like th- those are kind of the little things he puts in. And I, I, maybe he didn't do it on purpose. I don't know, but I feel like he did. And it's just like that's that high level. Like you have to really dig deep into the lyrics to kind of catch stuff like that. And I I didn't catch it the first few times until I saw that video. And I'm just like, wow, Vince Staples might be that dude if he's going to be rapping like this. Like that's a pretty incredible bar and reference that. There's certain people that don't people. There's people that don't understand that reference when I'm talking about uh, baby kissing Lil Wayne. Like, there's people that don't know what that means, or they, they, like they've never seen that picture. Or like, they don't. That's a that's a I different level. Some of the some of the I how do I want to put this? I think that a lot of the things that people like about rappers, like Drake. Um, it's like the fanfare that comes around them. Like, you know, Drake's taking pictures with duck lips and the cornrows. Like, you know, Drake will give you a moment when he's out in public if he wants to. I don't think Vince is one of those kind of people because Vince is a regular person. Like, you know, he's been rapping for 10 years, but he, I, I think he's always rejected fame in the, the um, like, hyper-visible sense. Um, so he's able to be really honest all the time. Um, and I think people kind of miss his honesty and what he puts out because he's not one of those rappers who's constantly in the limelight. Like when he's done touring, when he's dropped an album and he's ready to go take a break, you're not going to hear from Vince outside of like some tweets when like, I don't know, Snowfall comes on and he has a very strong opinion about Franklin. Like That's when you'll hear from Vince when he's not actively working. Um, I like that about him personally. Um, but I think people who like the celebrity of rap more probably don't pay as much attention to to Vince Staples. Um and then again, like he not he's not the type of dude that's gonna go out and promote himself. He's not gonna be on some listen to my album under every quote <laughs> under under every thread. Um but I think more people should appreciate him. I, I would implore you to go listen um back to the really old uh Mac Miller produced stuff like Winter in Prague. Like go back and listen to that. Listen to his progression as a rapper. Um and then just like listen to the stories that he's able to tell and put together. He's also with the visuals. Um, I don't think people have picked that up yet either. Um, a oh, Vince yeah, Staples yeah. visual, like he's for fun. He one of my favorite Vince Staples videos. It's just like a Google map, <laughs> um, and the whole video was kind of like seen through the eyes of a little white kid in the hood, like yes. looking at the hood of Long Beach, <laughs> um, in a place he would never step foot in, but just kind of seeing a day in the life of people in Long Beach, like. I, Go and look at Vince Staple vis- visuals, if nothing else. That man, if he puts a visual out, it is really good. Yeah, that shit, that, I really enjoyed that. I remember when that came out, I was like, this this is deep on a lot of levels. Like, that was really hard as far as, like, <laughs> the, the kid kind of just getting a peek at a lifestyle that he could never actually live and probably going around talking about it as if he does right. live it, which people do tend to do on Twitter, where it's like, oh, well, I listen to this music. I follow people on Twitter. I watch this TV show. I can relate to these things. And it's just like, now nah, you're just a, you're just a bystander. You're just watching from your computer screen. Like what you're seeing isn't, isn't real. So, um, so I, I, I don't know if we're going to, I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Cause I know South Breeze is a, is a big fan of Vince Staples too. He's always, uh, 
bringing them up as far as uh, music goes. So uh, if we talk about it next week, then we'll for sure bring you back. Um, I think tech is gone, so we're going to uh, wrap it up. Um, I don't know if you... Shout out to Doja Cat, um, who just won her first Grammy. That was cute. Shout out to her. Um, shout out to SZA and them crutches. I don't know what the crutches are for, um, considering she did not have the crutches on the red carpet and seemed to be walking fine with the crutches in her hand. But if you are injured, SZA, I wish you the best. I hope you heal quickly. Uh, but I'm not sure what those crutches was for. Shout out to Doja, though. You are a rapper in my book, Miss Ma'am. <laughs> what she won a Grammy for? I think it was Best R&B Duo or Best... It was for Kiss Me More. I don't remember the the, the um, I, category. I should win a Grammy. That's definitely a Grammy-worthy uh, song. Uh, I was going to go into uh, Song of the Week. Uh, I, don't, I, I guess I'm going to go with... Um, I'm gonna go with one or two songs. It's not really about the the artist whose songs it's on. It's more for the feature artists. I'm gonna go with uh, you can either go with "We Go Up," uh, Nicki Minaj song featuring Five Yo Foreign, or "Top Notch." It's the City Girls featuring Five Yo Foreign, and I, I'm really starting to like this uh, New York drill sound that's kind of being, I guess, more uh, mainstream the last year or two. Um, I like what Fabio is doing. I like him as a rapper. Um, I'm curious to see. He, I, I believe his album comes out this weekend also. Uh, I'm curious to see what he does um, by himself for a full-length project. Like, is it just going to be strictly um, drill music the entire time? Because I, I do think it's possible to make a good, complete, solid body of work by just doing one particular sound. I just worry that he's going to uh, maybe limit himself um, artistically if that's the only thing he does, unless he does it at a high level, like a like a Pusha T with his uh, Coke bars. But uh, Fabio Foreign is an artist that if you're not listening to him now, he's someone that you should check out. And I think his his album that comes out uh, this weekend is going to be uh, a good one for 2022. Um, uh, so I, I won't say it's, it's probably been my song for the last couple weeks, but two chains dropped, uh, dope, don't, dope, don't sell itself. I don't remember when he dropped the album. Um, it was earlier this year, not too long ago though, but, um, the album's really good. And I have been listening to pop music featuring Moneybag. Um, and so yeah, shout out to dope, don't sell itself. Shout out to two chains. I love you. Uh, also, shout out to Two Chains on um, I think it's called Ghetto Gods on that that Gangsta Grills uh, Dreamville mixtape. All right, well, <clears throat> I actually haven't listened to any new music this week, so unfortunately, I don't have a song of the week this week. But um, definitely want to shout out everybody. Um, out there that has been tuning in um if you would please like follow subscribe share um we're on youtube spotify and all the other major um streaming services so please check us out uh, i am south breeze 706 aka the tech messiah and i am out <laughs>